Yeah, if you want to stick around, that and it won't be terrible. It's not going to be like the four hours that we recorded last time. Because Richard, <laughs> Rob put out the challenge of seeing if we could hit four hours again. No, 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 <laughs> no. I don't want that. I do not want that. I know. What we do want is we want to see if we can get everybody to Kansas City in October. Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that's down to clown. I'm your host, Rob. And Dennis. And again, Kevin and Richard are <laughs> unavailable. Uh, Kevin is out of town, and we think Richard may have been lost to the spirit of Daylight Savings Time. So we'll, lost in the warp. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll see what happens. He may come back later, but uh, as of right now, it's the two of us. But this works. We can work with this because this is going to be part two of our Codex Eldari coverage, in which we will be talking about the other two factions in the book, the Harlequins and the Inari. For four uh, more hours. <laughs> no, no, no. I, honestly, if we could wring four hours of content out of the the small amount that we're covering today, I'd be really surprised. And I, that's not I, a challenge. I, I, that is I not a challenge. No, no, I, I, I won't. I won't treat that as a challenge. No, we'll we'll just talk okay. what needs to be talked and move on. Right. <laughs> uh, but before that, um, we have uh, news and new releases and your listener mail, and we actually do have some news. Uh, I'm going to save the big thing for us for last, but uh, some other pieces of, of note are. Uh, the uh, kill team, uh, what's it? Warzone Knockmund is out now, or is out for pre-order? Pre-order out for pre-order. Yeah, and so that includes the new Chaos Marines and the new Corsairs, which, as we discussed last episode, eh. <laughs> they look so beautiful. I love the models. I love the models. I want a pack of the models just to put together and and paint i don't like we said last time i probably not use on the board mm-hmm. but i i don't need all the rest of that so i'll probably wait a few months till they come out with that kill team on its own yeah like i'm kind of i'm feeling the same way even like about the chaos marines like it's a cool set of chaos marines but i think i'd much rather hold off and like pick it up as a separate box if i decide to pad out my um, Chaos Marines. Although I will say it's nice to see that the uh, upgraded Pathfinders box and the new Sisters Novitiates are now available as separate pre-order items. So that's good. Yeah, which gives me the hope that in a few months Corsairs will be that way. Yep. And the uh, that uh, old Imperialis terrain, well, well, not the old, old Imperialis, the middle old Imperialis terrain is available again <laughs> as a pre-order. I really liked that train <laughs> set, and it, it was here and gone too quickly, so it'll be like I have a couple of sets of it, so I don't necessarily need to get more, but it's nice to have it available for people who want to use it. But uh yeah, so that's that's stuff that is coming down the pipe like right now. Like that is just gone up for pre-order yesterday. 
And then they also revealed, we we had kind of had some indication of this, but they did confirm that the uh, Tyranid Codex is next. They showed us the new cover art, which is a, a hive tyrant looking loud and proud right there on the cover. And uh, also showed off the new combat patrol that they're going to be getting, which is 36 Turvagants, a unit of uh, Tyranid Warriors, and a hive tyrant that can be made into a winged hive tyrant. So that's 43 models, which is the largest combat patrol yet. Although, yeah, it's like, like whether I'm trying to figure out though, because the Termagants are all going to be troops. The Tyranid Warriors may be troops still, but it seems odd to have a combat patrol that is an HQ and two to four troops. So I'm wondering if they have been moved into the elites. I, that would not surprise me since, I mean, there's precedent that Dire Avengers got moved to the elites. And it could also be maybe they're looking at these, the warriors to be like a squad of one to three, maybe one warrior per squad of Termagants. Uh, um, I, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. Uh, Cause warriors so it, are immune to synapse or not immune, but they, they aren't affected by that. I don't know if they give it, but. If they started to give it, then I could see like plunking a warrior like you would plunk a a warlock from the Eldar. Just plunk them in for extra benefit. Yeah, other than Space Wolves, I think they've really moved away from that. So, yeah, Except I'm for not Eldar, sh- and so I could see Tyranids getting. Well, El- yeah, well, Eldar doesn't do that anymore, though. You don't. Yeah, well, drop- I say plunk it in. I mean, you have a one character elite thing that you can put with a thing of troops that kind of gives them buffs. And you're protected from lookout, sir, because you're you're hidden by a unit. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I can see that. That's so. what I meant by plunk them in. Okay. So not so much join the unit as just accompany right. the unit, like walk yes, around next yes. to it. Yeah. Be that elite buffer person. Oh, and there is technically one other unit in the, in the box. Three Ripper swarms. Okay. So they're there. Well, because you get a Ripper Swarm with each set of Termagant sprues. Right. So there are three I, sets I of sprues. So there are three ter- three Ripper Swarms, three Ripper Swarm models. So that's a unit of three. Yeah, so, but I never see Ripper Swarms used. Um, actually, th- that well, that takes us over to the next model. Next thing they okay. announced, which is that the Parasite of Mortrex, which only existed in the fluff in past codexes. I think going back to like fifth edition has now going to have a, an actual model and be a playable choice. And one of the things it does is it has, uh, it's, a, it has an attack with an ovipositor. And if it hits you, it infests the unit with parasites. And then if a unit is infested, you do a roll and that on a, like a one to three, the unit suffers D3 mortal wounds and is no longer in, uh, infested. Or on a four to six, they take D3 mortal wounds and they are infested. But either way, when they take the wounds, you set up Ripper Swarms next to them because a Ripper Swarms exploded out of people in the in the unit. Oh my. Okay, so that's why they're there. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Also, while a unit is infected, it loses objective secured. Oh, okay. That's handy. So those Ripper Swarms could actually be getting a workout soon if if the Parasite uh, ends up being pretty good. 
Man, it sounds that way. And I like there's new kind of counters to objectives. There, there's new ways that the game can be played that you have to oh, watch yeah. out for. That's interesting. Well, with so much focusing on holding objectives, anything you can do to, to turn that off is very useful. Either stopping actions or stopping objectives. Yeah. Right. However, they can't infect vehicle units for obvious reasons. So Right. And even if you remove objectives secured, you still have to have then more models there. Or at least one right. objective secured unit yourself. Well, I mean, depending on how that roll goes, you may have just put like D3, or you may have just put uh, a Ripper Swarms unit right with one model right next to them and denied them objective secured. So that's one, you know, and you've done wounds to them. So depending on what else you have there, you may have just shifted the balance. Yeah, that's fair. So like I said, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, we'll see how this all plays out. But it's cool to at least see some of these old like fluff only creatures being actually realized in, in a new codex. So um, I don't think we have a release window. I'm, I'm assuming late April, early May for Tyranids, maybe, maybe mid April. Cause uh, we've got the, and well, and see, they announced the new combat patrol and the Eldar combat patrol is supposed to come out in April. They did confirm that. So, uh, they may release both combat patrols at the same time, kind of like what they did with uh, Grey Knights and Thousand Suns not too long ago. So that's that might make sense. And it's a shame Richard isn't here because I'd love to have his take on on these particular releases. So we'll have to hit him up next episode and yeah. get his feedback on this. Next episode, Gene Steele, so I'm still going to tease it. And then Richard can do all the talking. <laughs> yeah, we've been trying to do a Gene Stealer episode, but those little buggers are hidden somewhere, and they are not coming out. So, oh my, we'll just. <laughs> you knew I had to go there. I know. I, I didn't say anything except, oh my. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and so that takes us to the other piece of news, which is big and very exciting for us, and that is they have announced the next round of U.S. Open events, the U.S. Open 2022. And now there are going to be five events, four like GW run qualifiers, and then a final event. Um, the four qualifiers are going to be in Seattle, San Diego, Chicago, and here in Kansas City. I am so excited for that because, I mean, last year having one in Austin, that was really close. But um, Kansas City is definitely near and dear to my heart. And near and dear to your location. Near and dear to my location. Also, the fact that where they're holding it in Kansas City is the same hotel where we've held Midwest Conquest for the, you know, four or five, you know, for, for four years. Uh, it seems fitting. <laughs> you know, it just it, it, so, so we chose a good hotel. <laughs> we did choose a good hotel, although partly that was because of the convention we were partnering with. We didn't get I, I to know. pick that hotel. But uh also, I imagine they will not be in the, the smaller hall that we are in, but going to be in like either the big ballroom upstairs or I would possibly the convention center that's attached next to it. So. Right. I would assume probably the ballroom makes the most sense to me. And also the thing about that that I love is unlike last year where things were capped at 256 and they kind of ran were running out of tickets, even though I think at Austin we only had like 240 or 250 players, so not – a full event, even though there was that many signed up. They upped it to 400 this year. So 
Yeah. I, I think 400 and having four qualifying events means people should be able to get tickets. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, it's Seattle is May 6th through May 8th. San Diego is June 9th through June 12th. And the tickets for those two events are available right now. Like they, like when they dropped this, uh, Friday, the tickets were immediately up for sale for those two events. And then Chicago will be October 6th through October 9th, and Kansas City, October 27th through October 30th. Uh, all of these will have uh, grand tournaments and narrative events for both 40K and Age of Sigmar. Uh, they are going to earn you ITC points. You know, they had already announced their partnership with uh, the ITC. Uh, so, uh, Amazing prices I mean, to boot. Uh, they're- but beyond that, they're doing more than just the GT and narrative crusade events. You also have your kill team or Warhammer Underworlds there. They're having a friendly on Sunday for people who don't want to play in the other longer events. Or there's just hobby events and open gaming you can sign up for, too. So I feel like they've expanded what you can do there more than just come Which and play is fantastic. in the GT. Yes. No, that's that is great that they are they're expanding and and having more options, more ways to encourage people to come out. Yeah, so like looking at the event, yeah, the 40k grand tournament up to 400 players, the Age of Sigmar grand tournament up to 250 players, a kill team tournament, a, an Underworlds grand clash, which San Diego does not have an Underworlds event. That's the one that's missing. And then a 40K Crusade, Age of Sigmar Path to Glory, open gaming, Sunday friendly tournament, painting classes, an event hobby pass. So if you are not a gamer, if you just want to enter, like imagine they'll have the Golden Demon turn, you know, competitions there. Uh, if you just want to do that, there's passes for that. They even have a laser tag events, live kill team. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean some of just, the stuff they had last time, like the pub um, quiz and Q&A, you don't have to you just show up for type thing. Um, mm-hmm. They did have painting classes last time too, that you just showed up for um, the hobby and painting. I mean, the painting competition, you don't have to probably buy a ticket to get into that unless that you don't want to game. That's how you get in. And they had like, you could go to the hobby sessions. You could go to the airbrush lessons. Um, and I'm guessing that that's what the advanced painting classes will be. And at reading up on the hobby pass, it was like, here, you get a model, you get full access to just hang out in the area, and you get to use all this. You don't have to bring your own paints. Use all the Citadel paints that they bring with them for your whatever you want to paint, not just that model. So, yeah, if you just want to have a painting weekend, they they are encouraging that as well as playing. Yeah. Now, the paint, the po- hobby pass and paint challenge is $80, at least for the... Uh Seattle event, uh, yeah. but you do get a swag bag with uh, like brushes, modeling accessories, and then a, a mini to work on. So it's like you're you're getting stuff to work with, and like I said, access to all their materials to work. Yeah, on, and, so. and to be fair, the normal just open gaming, aka you're buying a badge to the event, it, and just like look around but not participate in things is sixty. So that extra twenty bucks is probably for the model and being able to do the painting with their paints. So that's decent. And, you know, honestly, that's that's great for people who, like, maybe they can't do a whole day's worth. Of, like, maybe they've got other stuff in their schedule. They're not able to attend a tournament, but they still want to show up. That, you know, being able to, you know, register, like, you know, just grab a, a you know, register a table and just get a game in, you know, get a game or three in. I think that's 
like this is all really it, it's cool that they've opened up these options and so yeah we don't have details we don't have a lot of details on the kc event other than instead of having an underworlds tournament it will have a blood bowl tournament which is also why the Kansas, <laughs> the logo for the Kansas City event has a it's football. The football. Okay. Yeah. I thought because well, just Casey likes football. <laughs> well, that too. Also, the Chicago event does not have, uh, it does not have an Underworlds, but be, if you can notice by the mark of armor, like the Mark III armor featured in the logo, they are having a Horse Heresy event. So, the, you know, it's like there will be certain events that are focused towards different players of kind of like the, the smaller sub game and you know, not sub game that that's the wrong term for the, like the smaller, more niche games, like, you know, horse heresy, blood bowl, underworlds, etc. Man, I guess I'm be, I, maybe cause I'm playing underworlds. I, I didn't realize underworlds was a smaller thing than kill team. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. And then the finale will be in Santa Ana, Pueblo, New Mexico, uh, November 17th through 20th, which I think is Renegade, <laughs> Renegade Open Weekend again. Ow. Oh, that's okay. I mean, you, you don't play as far as, I don't think you actually can sign up to play for these ones. Right. Um, there, well, they will have tickets for the grand narrative events, but otherwise the tournament is for, the the finalists, the people who yes. win the the various uh, opens. However, you don't just have to play in an open to qualify. If you win at LVO, Adepticon, or Nova Open, you also earn a ticket to the finals. So I will feel sad for Renegade because a lot of the probably the top players won't be at Renegade, but they'd go to this, but. I'm not going to this, so maybe I have a better chance at Renegade? Question <laughs> mark. Well, let's see, because LVO's already happened. Like L- yes. LVO has already happened, so Richard Siegler won LVO, so he has a pass to the finals. I'm waiting for him to win the other four qualifiers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I mean, if historical trends hold, okay. Richard Siegler will win every U.S. Open. <laughs> okay. I mean, he's only three for three, so... <laughs> only three for three plus LVO, so... <laughs> uh, fair... But I mean, which and of course the irony was he couldn't show up to the finals right last year. Which, if it's like previous, I don't. If we'll be at Renegade, I don't think we'll do this. But I mean, they streamed everything on on the Warhammer um, Twitch channel, so they showed all the games and whatnot there. So if you can't make it to that one and aren't doing anything else that weekend, I'm sure you'll be able to follow the events. One way or the other. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, obviously, the the big thing for us is it's coming to Kansas City, which means we will be there. We yeah. uh, At least Provided I will for tickets. sure. I will for sure. Like, I will, I will, can't, I will wait to see, like, I will try to jump on it on a ticket. Oh, yeah, I, and I, I, if I will I, try and jump on tickets, too. If I can't get into the 40K Grand Tournament, I will at least do the Sunday Friendly or Open Gate or something. I will do something. <laughs> no, it, it's I definitely encourage people just if they can't make it to the big event, do something because these events are a lot of fun. I mean, I've only been to the Austin one and watched the Dallas one, a Grapevine one, and it they were very nice events, well run and kind of just fun to be a part of. 
Um, and that's the other thing, looking at their map of things. Yeah, last year was what Orlando, New Orleans, Austin, and then De- final in Dallas. So that's the whole pretty yeah. much southeast the of south. the country. Yeah. And then this time we've got pretty much the West Coast kind of covered with two events there. The Midwest covered with Chicago and KC. And then in between all those four is is New Mexico. So it makes me wonder if year three is going to be more along the New England East Coast I, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, and, you know, the way they're I, – I do like the way they're kind of, you know, hitting different spots of the country and moving around. Well, that's what they and, said they would last year. Right. And so it's, it's not, good to see that they've they've stuck with that. And yes. Yeah. that it, No, it's just fantastic. So super pumped for this. I I can't wait. <laughs> I'm like I'm, – I'm, I'm just super excited. Very happy. So <laughs> – so yeah, uh, so yeah, uh, the the weekend before Halloween, come to KC and play the uh, U.S. Open there. The other three, eh, you know, show up if you want. I don't know. I'm not really as invested in that one, but definitely the KC one. Definitely the KC yeah. one. And and we're hoping to get all four of us cross fingers able to be playing there because we have not had all four of us playing or traveling to an event that one of us was not running. Hmm. So yeah. yeah, theoretically, it's possible for all four of us to be in one place, and that yeah, and that will that will mark the end of time. Like at that point, all things are done and complete, and then squats will come back. Got it, <laughs> man. If they preview a squats kill team or something at Kansas, City, oh, that's just they're like- just messing with you at that point. That's personal. <laughs> that that's 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 just a mess with uh, you. Probably. I mean, I- I'm still of the mind which. I kind of want to see an army, but at the same time, I don't because I've teased it so long. I feel like I'd have to buy it, and I've got enough armies, as we've said a few times. <laughs> ah, and that takes us over to your listener mail. As always, these letters are written by you, the listeners. And if you want to have your letter read on the air, we'll tell you how. You can get it to us at the end of the segment. Uh, we have two, but with Richard being gone, we may go ahead and punt on one of them because it is orc specific. So uh, Ross Wyand wrote to us asking, uh, following up on an email about an orcs on armies on parade display, uh, and he was asking about like what models he should use, and I'd really like to have Richard's input on that. So, Ross, we're sorry I'm not able to answer that this episode. We will try to get it next episode. Although his idea, because he says his his display is an orc rock crashing into an imperial city and unleading unleashing its orky payload, that sounds fantastic. So, yeah, I, I love the uh, idea and concept, but I'm with you, Rob. I'd I'd like to get Richard for more the details other than yeah, sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. So, so Ross, we will try to answer that one for you next episode. But I did want you to know we did receive it, and I, and we are we are going to look into it. It's just I need Richard here. So, all right. So that our other letter is from Paul Candle. Uh, Paul writes, uh, "Hey guys," and this is another follow up, by the way. Hey guys, thank you for your thoughts on LVO. Although I don't totally agree with the format of playing a game at 9pm in a shadow round, I see the point better of having one. 9pm is the only time based on the format, and that is where it is. I lose most games, so I guess I'm good to go for not playing in a shadow round. I'm with you there. Oh, Yeah, I've never never <laughs> played in a shadow round, unlikely to ever happen, so... Uh, thoughts on balance and a question. With the rapid release of codexes and quarterly balance updates, I think it's interesting, according to BCP and some other places I've looked at, 
looked, that earlier released armies seemed to be falling away a bit. Take Thousand Sons. When this codex came out, they were already a complex army. Now they appear to continue to fall just based on the balance update. Same can be said to a certain extent for Grey Knights and Admech, but not as severely. My concern is the meta has shifted to the Golden Boys and the Fish Boys. Now that the new hotness of the pointy-eared guys are up for pre-order, it appears another balance will be due. So the question for you all is as follows. Do you think the balance timing is going to lead to a new edition sooner rather than later? With everything mostly digital, one could argue this case. Do you think GW will continue this trend to make the play space better and or use releases and updates to push a new digital single rule set in this next year? As for me, I will continue to find ways to play Admech, Tau, and my Thousand Sons to 1 in 5 in most events. Thanks, and stay safe, Paul. Um, Yeah, the meta has definitely been shifting, and newer codexes are better equipped to handle that. I don't think there's any argument there, and the the sudden massive success of both Custodes and Tau definitely points to that. Um, the thing I do I'll also say th- about that, Rob, though... This has been the way it has been for years. Even back when they only released one or two codexes a year. Yeah, true. The competitive balance was whatever the new hot, the new codex was defined the meta. And so as we're seeing here, each new release is kind of redefining it as it comes out. Right. Um, and I've seen arguments that it is power creep and, and there's probably something yeah. to that. But yeah, like back in like fifth and fifth edition days, new guard codex comes out, the leaf blower took over and everything was leaf blower lists and then like blood angels and space wolves were out and it was all like blood angels razorback spam stuff like that the thankful part is those trends lasted for like six months currently the new trends only seem to last for two to three (laughs) yeah now there have been a couple outliers like uh i think drukari and uh admech definitely punched above their their weight level a bit, you know, a bit longer than they should have. And Drakari is still good. It's just that what we're seeing is there are more armies that are able to compete. Whereas like there are older armies, like there, anything that's like at mid tier or lower has a tougher time because you have to be able to like, if you can't beat Drukari, you're not going to move forward. If you can't beat Admech, you're not going to move forward. But now Drukari and Admech are struggling to deal with, custodes and tau but there's not that much of a rock paper scissors thing where the armies that can't beat drukari do beat custodes or tau so there's an interesting balance like orcs were really powerful for a bit and then they came out with a balance data slate to tone them in you know to kind of rein them in a bit admech you know we had flyers toned down and admech's kind of come down a bit although i think siegler won lvo with uh Admech, so Admech is still a very playable army, and in the hands of a good general, some of these are still very powerful, but it's definitely true, like, regular Space Marines, uh, Necrons have suffered a bit. I think, like, Death Guard is still good, but not great. Sisters are still good, but not great. And we'll have to see where Eldari comes in on this. I don't know if they're going to upset the current meta that much it's it just it's going to depend on what their matchups are like against custodes and tau I, I think they'll change it somewhat but i don't think they're going to take over i i do think that there's 
a trend and hopefully GW can start to reverse it as they, they've talked about like bringing in people who win large events into kind of a balanced discussion group. Like a new arm, new armies come out. Most of them are pretty good baseline, but there will occasionally be one, one or two like custodes and tower. Perfect examples. Drukari is a perfect example. And Admex a, a good example where, Something happened in the playtesting where maybe they didn't do enough matchups to see like what the overall win rate is. But like some of those armies come out, I think, way stronger than GW necessarily intended. And they've been trying to figure out how to bring them back to heal a bit. And I think they've done they were doing that with Drukari up until they decided to lower the price for the, all the homunculus coven stuff. Like they raised the prices, they raised the cost for everything else, but then lowered the points cost for all the homunculus covens thinking, oh, well, that'll bring it into parity. And it's like, no, you just made all the homunculus coven stuff too good now. Um, with custodes, apparently when they, like they had the custodes codex and then they dropped the uh, chapter approved and lowered costs on a number of things and made them also or they, or maybe there was an FAQ, or maybe no, maybe it was the balance they slate. Something like they got free misericordias and other things dropped in points, and suddenly it's like, oh, you made them more points efficient, and they were already good. That's a bad call. <laughs> and people are trying to figure out how to deal with with Tau right now, and like Goonhammer just ran an article that's basically like a balanced, like their kind of balanced discussion. And they're looking mostly at custodes and Tau and like, oh, what should we do for the custodes? And it's almost always raise the points on a bunch of stuff. And for Tau, it's all over the place. It's like make this thing only work for one unit instead of all your units within it's like six inches or raise the points on this. Limit how many of this you can take. And there's a lot of stabbing in the dark right now trying to figure out how to fix Tau. So... Yeah, the balance, like, it's good that they're doing quarterly balance updates because they're going to need to, as long as this continues to be an issue. We'll have to see where El, like, where Eldari lands. We'll have to see where Tyranids lands. Tyranids are currently doing well with one particular build based on a, an army type in, that was enabled in White Dwarf a couple of, like, a few issues ago. The Crusher Stampede. So, It'll be interesting to see if the new Tyranid Codex kind of, like, works with that or doesn't. But, uh, you know, getting to the main question, do we think the balance timing is going to lead to a new edition sooner rather than later? I don't think so. I I think, I don't think we'll get a, a 10th edition super fast, necessarily. At least not until all the codexes have been updated and we still have a while to go on that. See, that's where I... Don't know how to answer that part of the question because if they go by every two to three years, this year is year two. So I expect to see one, if not this year, then next year. So, so I, I, yeah, so I see it not sooner or later. I see it kind of still being right on time. Um, yeah, no, I mean, you're right. Like traditional cycles are we do get a new, a new edition every, th- every three years. Um, and if we look at what codexes remain to be replaced, like NIDs are obviously coming down the pipe. So we've got Chaos Space Marines, Chaos Demons, Chaos Knights, Imperial Knights, and Astro Militarum slash Imperial Guard. So that's six codexes, which 
in a year's time, they could absolutely get six more codexes out. That's not even really a challenge. So, yeah, I, I would hope they don't switch to a new edition until everybody's updated. But I would also hope that once everybody's updated, they give, like, the armies that have just been updated a little bit more time or make sure that they are designed. You know, they, they talked about how, like, well, some of the newer stuff is, like, when we had the transition to eight from eighth to ninth, they were talking like, yeah, the psychic awakening stuff was designed with ninth edition in mind. How much psychic awakening stuff is even really still being used at this point? Not much, not much. So it'll be interesting to see, like, is there going to be a cutoff point where like everything design that comes out after say this summer is designed for a 10th edition or not? And will this be a, a digital single rule set? I don't think they're ever going to get fully away from books. I don't think, um, I, I don't know if Games Workshop is going to go fully digital, especially considering how much of a mess the 40K app has been. Um, the Age of Sigmar app is much better, but the Age of Sigmar army building is also much simpler because you don't have points upgrades for all sorts. Like, you don't have the individual war gear that you have to customize. It's just like, oh, yeah, this unit has this guy and it doesn't cost any extra points. It's just, yeah, I want to take this guy and I want to have this weapon instead of that one. doesn't cost any more points. It's just a thing. So it's really, it's much easier to, to handle that. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to to see. Like, I I would like to see the game move into a, a living edition and I, you know, kind of a ongoing just that like because I really don't know if the if there's that many issues with the base rules, and I think that's well, that's where where a big push for new a new edition is is when the base rules are broken, and I think the base rules are pretty fine. And updating the also not so we won't say chapter approved, but the tournament rules every six months is a way to tweak those rules to make it kind of like the living edition you were talking about. Right, because when when your format is constantly changing in small ways, or like, you know, we've changed, because, like, we've talked on this show in pa many past episodes about how mission design will completely change game balance, and thing, you know, armies that are good at performing certain missions, I mean, it's one of the reasons why Tau didn't work, is, you know, Tau, Tau did not have, was not built for ninth edition, but also didn't have any real way to capitalize on mission structure because they didn't have like secondary objectives that they could pull off things like that and they didn't have really good ways to like manipulate uh, you know objective secured or things like that which they now do and i think like that's where like mission design can really rebalance things and if you're doing quarterly balance updates and semi-annual points updates and semi-annual mission and like game updates with new 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 main missions, new secondary objectives, I th yeah, I think you're almost at a a living game set at that point. I mean, this is just a wait and see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's. I think if anything, the ongoing balance timing could allow them to push off a new edition, but they might release. Yeah, you know, new editions are also just big uh you know it's big sales opportunities for them too so we don't want to forget that this is also a, a bit you know a company that's trying to make money so uh they like we i could see a 10th edition with like a new starter set 
and maybe a fine tuning of ninth edition rules, but ninth edition is already pretty well delineated and fine tuned as is. You know, we've got like, they've been adding all the rare rules interactions. If nothing else, just an updated 10th, like an updated rule book instead of a new edition that has all the, like all the new stuff that they've added since as far as like rare rules interactions and things like that. And, you know, errata and clarifications roll that into a, a new quote unquote edition. I think that would be fine where like the gameplay doesn't change a whole lot. Maybe, you know, like, retune crusade a little bit if they if they find it's not quite doing what they want and just you know clean up any little fine issues but i don't think we i don't think we need a reimagining of the game even to the level we had between eighth and ninth which was still significant enough to make certain armies just not function properly so yeah i i i I don't think we're I, I don't think we'll get a full new edition. I think we'll just get like ninth revised more than anything else. Oh, yep. We have confirmation Richard fell prey to the uh the spirits of daylight savings time. Uh you want me to ask him if he wants to join in? Sure. And so if you have a question you'd like to like us to answer on the air or you want our feedback on something or a follow-up on something we've done in the past. Just, just want us, you just want to talk with us. Uh, there are three good ways to do so. First off is to email us. Uh, you can email us at our first names at preferred enemies.com. So Rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferred enemies.com or our first names at preferredenemies.com. Uh, second is Facebook. We are at facebook.com slash preferredenemies. You can like us, follow us, and uh, we post updates on like when episodes come out and, uh, you know, our reactions to news, new releases, things we're working on, etc. Uh, third is Twitter. We are twitter.com slash preferred enemy, singular. And we take questions and comments from all those three sources, collate them together, and get through as many as we can in a single episode. Uh, in addition, uh, we do have a Patreon if you want to help support the show. Uh, we first ask that you use your wargaming powers for awesome and uh, find ways to use your your funds and abilities to help people in your area or around the world. Uh, but if after that you still want to help support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash preferred enemies. We uh, basically use Patreon as an online tip jar. We don't lock any of our episodes behind a paywall. Everything, All our content is free and available. And if you would just want to give a dollar a month, uh, enough people put in a dollar, it adds up because it helps cover uh, the cost of our hosting the cost of our recording service, uh, the uh, cost of like if we have to replace audio equipment and also helps us defray the costs of traveling to events, which we will definitely be doing uh, over the next year. Uh, but uh, if you just want to help support the show, like I said, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash preferred enemies. Wait a minute. Do, do we have a Richard? Do Hello. we have a Richard? He exists. I'm here. <laughs> Okay, Richard is so here. So now we can we we can redo this part and splice it. Well, no, the- no, we're gonna <laughs> we are gonna leave Richard's triumphant arrival in the episode, and we're just gonna okay. <laughs> we're just gonna go back and I get have, his feedback on the things we've already discussed. I, I have awoken. <laughs> are you he ready to law on some things? <laughs> Uh, so first off, Richard, uh, the couple thing like there are a couple of releases we wanted to get your your feedback on, and that's the stuff that they've teased or revealed about the new Tyranids. 
the fact like we're getting the new Tyranid Codex, the new Combat Patrol, and the new uh, model that they've announced. Yep. Um, the, I mean, like the, I'm excited for a Codex. Cover looks nice because you know they. That's really all you get when they announce that. True. The True. the Combat Patrol. Um, it that's a lot of gaunts. <laughs> that's a lot of gaunts. <laughs> And, uh, I, but I think that's actually a decent choice because it, it is an option for people who already have stuff for Tyranids can probably still you even use more gaunts, right? Right. And then, the, I mean, the Hive Tyrant is a super flexible kit. There's so many different ways to build it. I think it's a good one for both new and existing Tyranid players. So uh, I haven't done really any price point analysis on it, but you know, I think it's, I think it's decent. Now, Um, one question we were wondering about on that is it's weird to see a combat patrol that is like an HQ and then all troops. And so we're wondering what you think they're going to do with, like, the Tyranid Warriors. Do you think they're going to stay as troops, or could they get, like, bounced to elites, maybe? (sighs) They they might go to elites, but I'm not really sure. I kind of would hope that they'd stay as troops, but I've heard rumors that, like, Rippers are going to, to move to fast attack, Okay, um, well, and there's a trio of Ripper Swarms in that box, so at least it wouldn't be yeah. all troops at that point. Yeah, but uh, I, I I don't know. They, they might move to elites, the the warriors. They're just again they're they're so flexible. I I'd, I'd hope that they would stay as as troops, but we'll see when the codex comes out. Right, and then there's that model they announced. Yep. It is the the return of a a role set that never had models, uh, the Parasite of Mortex, which I had converted up one years ago, and I I had enjoyed running him, and he was a model who was famous for actually being uh, able to like spawn you new models of of Ripper Swarms, and he still has rules that can kind of do that i think there's maybe one too many hoops you have to jump through to to get one model of ripper swarm but like they're thematic rules i don't think they're great rules but i don't think they're necessarily bad rules either i think it'll kind of i don't remember seeing like the rest of his stats if they spoiled those yet or not Uh, they so uh, he's um, 16 inches of movement, weapon skill 2, ballistic skill 3, strength 5, tough 5, 6 wounds, 6 attacks, uh, leadership 8, and a 4-up save. They've shown that much. And he flies. Right. So yeah, he seems like uh, like he seems like a decent uh, choice. I, I would assume he'd be an HQ. He is Synapse, if nothing else. Right. So, yeah, I mean, he seems like a interesting choice uh, option. Uh, I don't think he's going to be like, again, I, I don't think he's going to be anything like the competitive scene's going to like 
rally around and like run the crap out of, but like he seems like a very flavorful model that will be okay option. Okay, cool. Uh, and then there was one piece of listener mail that we definitely wanted to save for you because we think you'd have the best feedback on it. And this was a letter from Ross Wyand. Uh, and Ross writes, Hello, preferred enemies. Uh, following up on my email about my orc armies on parade display, I decided to go with the display of an orc rock crashing into an imperial city on unleashing its orky payload. The idea is to use orcs that are siege breakers. I wanted to get some feedback on the units I'm using. My list is a war boss in mega armor, a big mech with shock attack gun, a knob with a wall banner, two units of 20 orc boys, one shooter and one chopper, a unit of 10 burna boys, a unit to 10 Ludas, a unit of 7 Mega Knobs, and 2 Deft Reds. Should I have a few more units? If so, what would you suggest adding? I've been contemplating adding a unit of Deft Coptas. Thanks, and keep up the great work. Best regards, Ross Wyand. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I. those are all really, really cool uh, choices, and uh, I could actually see also having uh, in a list like this some Killicans along with mm. the Death Dreads, or um, would any mech guns make sense for that one? I mean, it, it kind of would. Um, I mean, he doesn't really have he doesn't really have any any other like kind of grot units, and, and uh, as far as what's on an orc rock, I I don't know that it necessarily would have that many grots in a list like that. I mean, it might. I mean, thematically about the only other one that I would think of using actually might be tank busters. Okay. Yeah. I could definitely see that. Um, I don't, I don't know that they're like rules wise, the, the best unit right now, but you know, thematically they would be a good right. choice. Right. And this is like an armies on parade thing. So theme should be, should win out over everything else, I would think. Right. All right. Well, like I said, we just wanted to make sure that we had, you know, we, we saved those for you because we're like, yeah, orcs, those are cool. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, I think they're green, right? Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, that we'll go ahead and uh, we'll go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, we will get to our main topic, which is our look at part two of our Eldari Codex review. Uh, see you in a bit. Miniatures. We build them, we paint them, we love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40k... X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. 
Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from GameMat. Their professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a game mat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back, and that means it's time for our main topic, which is part two of our coverage of Codex Eldari. And in this episode we will be specifically talking about the other two smaller factions in this book the harlequins and the anari so the harlequins have been kind of a, a weird add-on to the uh, eldar codex and its various incarnations over the years because like they were originally like once upon a time what there was just like the harlequin unit like that's all there well, was no well once upon a time like second ed, third ed type thing they were part of the unit and you could actually build a whole harlequin army out of that one codex and they but if you didn't build a whole army they could only be like i think 25 percent of your army we'd have to look that up but i mean they were always there and you could always like build a crazy amount of them and they had extra like well expanded roles and then when you got to the more streamlined version harlequins were down to oh here's an elite choice you can take and then that elite choice turned into, hey, you can take that in both Eldar and Dark Eldar. And then it turned into, hey, we're giving them a codex. And right. now the codex has been taken away-ish because they've kind of got rolled into the new Eldari codex. So it, it's been a kind of a wild ride for, for Harlequins, although the models look so much better than they did back in the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, so the Harlequins, fluff-wise, they are the storytellers of the entire Eldari race. Not just the craft world section, but they actually are kind of intermediaries between all the various components of, of the Eldari species. And they tell their stories through performances of dance and costume and which is why they're able to like fluff like rules wise you're able to field harlequins in part in either you know craft world or drukari as they were in previous editions and they've maintained that uh, also the harlequins are the only representatives of a still living eldar god <laughs> Because all Slanesh killed all the rest of them, either devouring them or slaughtering them outright, or in the case of Caleb and Chicane, shattering them into a thousand pieces. No, uh, Kagorak, the, the laughing god, the god of the Harlequins, basically jumped into the webway and ran, and led Slanesh on a merry chase to which Slanesh has never caught Kagorak. And so, uh, there's still like that one god running around and, 
his, his the the Harlequins are basically his children and are there to remind the Eldari what they're fighting for, what they're what happened to remind them like what happened to them too. And uh they they don't fight in terms of like armor like they're not like aspect warriors where it's like we have the best armor and the best fighting technique they all depend on speed and misdirection and mobility and uh outfits that cause them to like disappear in a fractal of light and reappear somewhere else or maybe they were always there the whole time and you just didn't see them properly and they can defy gravity with belts that they wear and they've got some they've got some very unique monomolecular weaponry that can uh if it penetrates your armor it turns your insides into mush which is always fun and so uh we have uh the harlequins as a very like there's there's not a lot to cover on them also unlike most like the harlequins have an interesting structure of sub factions, and they've shifted this somewhat from the past, from the when they had a standalone codex. Because in the previous codex, they had like their equivalent of chapter craft world, etc., was their mask. Like, what troop of players did they had they formed and traveled together with? But instead, they've moved to something called a sadath, which is kind of represents what kind of roles that they are playing, what kind of stories they are telling. And then the masks are like a separate thing from that, that only exist in fluff. So a little bit weird in that regard. Well, they, they had these three distinctions before, and th- that was kind of like an additional thing based on your mask was which were you a light troop, a dark troop or a twilight troop. And that kind of guided your warlord traits, what relics you could take, etc. But yeah, now that's kind of treated like your air quote chapter for all intents and purposes. Right. I think like when they got their seventh edition codex, they were like all in on the 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 light, dark, twilight. And then the eighth yeah. edition codex had the masks as like the main determiner. And now they've gone back to light, light, dark, twilight. Yeah. And I'm guessing it's because they are considered a smaller faction. They didn't want to give them quite as many options. Oh, that's probably part one. Part two is the fact that you can run them either as a full army or you can actually run them as a patrol detachment with an Eldar, or with a Eldari, a Craftworld army, and they don't affect your, um, Battleforge rules if you take them as a, um, traveling players patrol detachment, which is a, a neat, unique rule that's kind of throwback to the, hey, at one point you could have a Harlequin troop as an elite slot type thing right and so yeah basically the way it's worded is uh you ignore that detachment for determining if your entire army has a particular keyword so for example if you run a traveling players detachment you don't lose strands of fate or if you're dukari you don't lose power from pain if you run a detachment of harlequins you know when you're checking if your entire army is like the same craft world to make sure you get your craft world trait Right. And and thus, to keep it simple, the Harlequins probably don't have that rule of like, well, if I'm taking this, I take this mask, or I get this mask, or... No, you you get your light, dark, twilight, it blends in with whatever, don't worry about it. It's right. kind of how I'm reading into it. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's pretty simple in that regard, that you can just, like, Harlequins are just, you can take a detachment, and then have the rest of your army be fine. And so, yeah, getting into the rules for them... 
like I'm going to again, we're going to jump around a little bit right before the data sheets. They have uh, a few rules. They do not have any of the rules that the standard Eldar have. So like there's no battle focus. There's no strands of fate. They don't have the same psychic powers. They are like a completely separate sub entity within the, the Eldari structure. Instead, what they have is Harlequin's panoply, which is basically a combination of a couple of rules that almost all the data sheets had in the past, which was like the hollow fields that would give them a four up and vulnerable save and the flip belts that would allow them to ignore terrain rather than having two separate rules. They just made one standard rule that covers that. So they have a four up and vulnerable. Um, anytime they make a normal move, advance, fall back or make a charge move, they can move through other models and terrain features. So long as they don't land on top of a model, and then the other thing, the one thing they did add is anytime you take a melee attack against them, you are minus one to hit. So the same kind of acrobatics that uh, Howling Banshees have. Although only in melee. I think the Banshees acrobatic is minus one all the time. Yeah. Uh, another rule they generally had was Rising Crescendo. This one really hasn't changed, and that is they can charge in a turn in which they advanced, and they can fall back and then shoot or charge as normal. So they're extremely mo mobile, extremely flexible in how they act. They can jump in, fight you, back up, shoot you, charge you again, advance and charge. Move through terrain. Yeah, move through. Nor terrain, like nothing slows them down. They're extremely just fast and maneuverable. And then instead of having Strands of Fate, they do have Luck of the Laughing God, which is a similar but not exactly the same ability. Uh, if every unit in your army has Harlequin, has the Harlequin's keyword, then at the start of your battle round, you get a number of luck rerolls, depending on the size of the battle, which is at 2,000 points at a strike force size, it's three luck rerolls per battle round. And then you can also basically play dice with the Laughing God. And try to try to see if you can get more. So you can roll up to 66. And if every die result is unique, you gain a number of additional luck rerolls equal to the number of D6s. So you should never have, like, if you're playing a 2,000 point game, you should never have less than four because you just roll one die. And it'll be unique and you always get an extra luck reroll. No, you could uh, have three if you got greedy and said, I can roll a Yahtzee and pick five. When if you don't roll Yahtzee, then... Well, that's yeah. I mean, you can't you straight, can get straight. greedy, but I was like, you should never have less than <laughs> one extra because that's an automatic. Like you can, there's nothing that can stop you from having one unique result on one die. Two dice, the odds are still pretty good. It's a one in six that you'll roll doubles because six results out of thirty six will be doubles. So you still got a pretty good chance at having a five, you know, five re rolls. Once you get past that, the math gets a bit trickier. Um, yeah, I don't I, know I, if I would push for more than three extras. Yeah, two to three, I think, would be the sweet spot. One is definitely the safe of just give me an extra die. Five mm. and four, five, six, yeah, like you said, you're, you're pushing into like needing small and large straights, and that's hard. Yeah. But, you know, I, I do think it's a neat addition to the mechanic. It's very appropriate for an army all about kind of pushing your luck. But I also like the fact that you never lose, like, you don't lose your base, like, three or however many you have right. based on game size. And the other thing to note with it is this is an army-wide rule. So if you're just having a detachment of Harlequins, you don't get this. 
So this is specific to, I've got a full Harlequin army, I get this. If I don't, well, the other rules still apply, but except for the luck. So they're excluded, but the, yeah, so like if you take a traveling players, you do not get this because whereas they don't stop the other armies from getting it, the other armies do stop them from getting theirs. Right. Yep. Because they're just helping you out and they only get the luck if they're all just by themselves. Right. Switch, I think definitely like not having access to this makes running a detachment of Harlequins a little bit less interesting. I think like they I think they'll definitely perform better with this. I, I'll ch- I'll say less powerful. Yes. Less interesting. No, because it's always interesting to throw Harlequins in. Yeah. Tr- OK, fair enough. Uh, and then we get into like, well, we get into their their actual other detachment abilities, such as the Sedeth. Uh, traits and such. So uh, Harlequin's attachments also have the lead role rule, which is that if your army includes any troop master models, then if your warlord is a Harlequin's model, it has to be a troop master, which means you're pretty much that's should really only apply to a full Harlequin army, but Correct. it might not if you wanted to make. Well, no, if you have see now, you don't have to have an, an autark doesn't have to be your warlord if. Correct. It's not. Yeah, so you could have a Harlequin as Yeah, but why? <laughs> Especially when you're not getting all your all your abilities out of them. So yeah, so there's three three Sidaths. Uh the first one is light, um, which you know, masks led by a troop of the light move at great speeds through their enemy in a storm of bright light and color, dazzling their perceptions like flickering out then flickering out of view again. Uh, each time an attack is made against a unit with this characterization, if the attacking model is more than 12 inches away, unmodified hit rolls of 1 to 3 fail, re- regardless of any abilities that the weapon or the model making that attack may have. You are always missed on a on a 3 or less at more than 12 inches away, which addresses one of the issues that this army has is that it is – I've characterized Harlequins in the past as a glass blender that if they yep. get up to you, they'll destroy you. But if you can shoot them off the board, then they just fall apart. This kind of helps address some of that. It does. It really does. Uh, and then each time a unit with this characterization makes a normal move or advances in your movement phase, in your following shooting phase, it counts as having remained stationary. Uh, which means you don't have any penalties for your assault weapons. Yeah. Dark, on the other hand, is characterized by violent endings and villainous antagonists. They're often doing, like, the dark, dirty rolls. Uh, each time a model with this characterization is destroyed by a melee attack, if the model had not fought, do not remove it from play. It can fight after the attacking model's units finish all attacks. So if your Harlequins die in close combat, they still fight back. And each time a model with this characterization makes a melee attack, the AP is better by one, which some of your weapons already have pretty good AP, so... It never hurts to be better. Yeah, it never hurts to be better. It means you know, you, you're more likely to stick the wounds you do get, which, again, for a three-strength army primarily, that is always good. And I, I will we'll, we'll call out the Dark Relic, because... It gives you an extra, or it gives you a Deny the Witch if you don't have it, or if you ha- are a Psyker already, it gives you an extra one. But what I think is more important is, or you get an aura, three-inch aura, that while the enemy unit is within three inches of this model, that unit loses objective secured. So we were kind of mentioning this earlier in the, the episode, that, well, here's another way, have a character, and maybe w- with a troop, 
they go take an objective. Well, the troops already objective secured. Remove somebody else's objective secured with this character's aura. I think that's a nice little combo. Oh, yeah, it is. And it's also the only one of these relics that is not tied to a particular model, because Light's Relic can only be on a Light Shadow Seer. Twilight's Relic can only be on a Twilight Troop Master. This one you can put on any of your characters. And speaking of Twilight, uh, they stand forever on the threshold between life and death. They are synonymous with maintaining natural order, protecting e- or preventing evil spirits from bedeviling the living, which is reflected as each time a unit with this characterization fights, if it made a charge move, was charged, or did a heroic intervention, uh, they get an extra attack. And each time a model with this characterization makes a pile-in or consolidation move, it can move an additional two inches. So five-inch pile-in, five-inch consolidation. And sparkles. And sparkle. And really, that takes us straight into the, the data sheets. Well, I guess there's rel- they have relics and warlord traits. They don't have a lot of relics or warlord traits. And in fact, their warlord traits, they have three. <laughs> Besides the ones well. that are tied to their particular Sadath. Right. Uh, the generics, uh, there's Favor of Kagorak. Uh, once per turn, when you make a hit roll, wound roll, or saving throw roll for this warlord, after making the roll, you can treat the result as an unmodified six instead. Just once per turn, you have a six save or a six wound or a six to hit. That's that's good. That's that's actually really good. Number two is Fractal Storm. Each time an attack is made against this warlord, your opponent cannot re-roll the hit roll, wound roll, or damage roll for that attack. Okay, that's handy. That is very good. There's so many things that depend on having uh, re-rolls to get uh, predictability out of them that that can really mess with your opponent. Uh, number three is foot in the future. When your warlord advances, you roll D3 plus three instead of D6. And each time you charge, you can add six to the result. Now, you, <laughs> so can't tar- you're not- you can't target anybody more than 12 inches away for a charge, but you're but almost on average. A charge. Yeah, because, I mean, average is a seven, 13, 13 is more than your 12. Yeah, yeah. foot in the future is you're going to make every charge. I really like Fractal Storm, or I really like Twilight's, are the two Warlord traits. Yeah, like. so so the uh, the Sadath specific ones, Light gets uh, Player of the Light. The Warlord it can uh, heroically intervene six inches horizontally instead of three, and the five verticals always the same. And each time, if it made a charge move or heroically intervened, you add one to their strength and attacks. Dark is player of the dark. Each time the warlord makes a melee attack on an unmodified wound roll of five up, the target also suffers a mortal wound, which I mean, extra that's mortal nice. wound output is not bad. Oh, yeah. And then twi- uh, Twilight, player of the Twilight. Uh, while this warlord is on the battlefield, each time one of your opponents spends any command points to use a stratagem, you can roll a d6 for each command point spent. On a six, you get a command point. And while the warlord is on the battlefield, each time you roll four or more dice... <laughs> For a luck of the laughing god roll, you gain a command point. So, so what do you want, luck or command point? <laughs> yeah, go big, go home. But yeah, you just have to roll four dice. Whether you get an extra luck die, you get a command point regardless. So if, yeah, Twilight is, gives you all the command point generation you might want, which is, is cool. Uh, then we also have, uh, they have their own two pages of relics. And one thing I do want to point out, the organization of this book, where... The things that are Harlequin related all have the Harlequin rune on their sidebar, which is really makes it easy to know, like, what am I looking at here? Oh, this is the Harlequin specific stuff. And they do the same thing for Inari on the couple of pages where that shows up as well. 
So, uh, relic-wise, they're mostly uh, wep- like three of them are weapon replacements, and then a couple of them are like armor replacements, and then one just like generic item. So, like they've got a like the storied sword. It's a better power sword that always hits, just always hits. Plus two strength, minus three AP, two damage. All attacks automatically hit. Or there's Crescendo, which is a shuriken pistol, which is already AP minus three and has the shuriken ability, which means you can get it up to AP minus five, which is a big improvement over its previous version where it had AP zero and could get up to AP minus three. You've got the Suit of Hidden Knives, which gives you three additional attacks at the end of each fight phase that just cause mortal wounds. Unless the vehicle or monster is titanic. Yeah, unless it's not, a, yeah, the, your knives do not bother titans and knights. <laughs> <laughs> you just go, eh, eh, it's not really going to work. You've got the Star Mist Rainment, which is basically Fractal Storm in a suit. Each time an attack is made against you, the hit roll and wound roll cannot be re-rolled. And once per battle in your command phase, you can declare that the bearer will mimic Alos. If you do so, he gets a three up and vulnerable until your next uh, command phase. And then, uh, like, Kagorex Rose is a replacement Harlequin's Kiss that can re-roll the wound roll and provides the Harlequin's Kiss keyword. We'll get to that in a bit when we get to data sheets. As they completely changed how the Harlequin weapons work in this. And it's it's a little weird. Especially the way it works when you have mixed weapons in a squad. Uh, we got their uh, Psychic Discipline Phantasmancy, which... I mean, it's what you have. It's the only one you get if you're playing a uh, Harlequin's army. Because there's no, but no one else can, can get Phantasmancy. You've got Twilight Pathways, which lets you make a unit within six inches immediately have a normal move, advance, or fall back. But they can't declare a charge this turn if you do so. Also, it only affects Sadath core or character units, uh, which is most things in your harlequin army except for one specific exception and that is the solitaire which i i was looking at that and the solitaire used to have a rule that would work unless he'd been targeted by twilight pathways which they basically just decided if we don't allow them to use twilight pathways on the solitaire then it doesn't matter uh fog of dreams which makes a unit untargetable unless they're within 12 inches Mirror of Minds is a uh, mortal wound roll-off. It is actually better than its old version, because the old version is you just rolled off until somebody failed or died. But you might you might not do... Basically, it was like you'd have to do roll-offs, and every time the opponent lost a roll-off, they'd take a mortal wound, but if they passed, the effect ended. Now it's a smite that does D, you know, does D3 mortal wounds, and then you roll off until either they pass or they've taken six mortal wounds. So if they have really or bad they luck, they might... or Well, or they die, right, yeah. But, I, I like, it can't theoretically go infinite if you're just on a hot streak on dice, but on the other hand, it will always do at least D3 mortal wounds. So it's, it's more consistent. Veil of Tears, which is another can't target this unit with... Uh, Ranged attacks from more than 18 inches away. Shards of Light, which is another mortal wound inflictor. Uh, It only does one mortal wound unless the target is a vehicle, a monster, or a unit with six or more models, which, as you said, Dennis, earlier, six is a bad number (laughs) if you're a troop or if if you're infantry. 
you suffer D3 mortal wounds. So again, it's a smite that doesn't work great on characters unless they're a model, but it also subtracts two from the target's leadership. So against infantry, it can actually really mess with them. Right. And I think that played along with the um, Shadow Seer's grenade launcher, which goes off of leadership as well, is a Mm -hmm. nice thing. Yeah, so the Harlequins definitely have good ways to manipulate leadership, which actually does matter in this edition. And then uh, Webway Dance uh, gives you an aura of uh, six up feel no pain, which is not bad. And then we actually get right into data sheets. This is a small, small, small faction. We're jumping to page 180. So you have the, have the troop master, which is kind of a captain, but not. A, it's he's got more of the lieutenant ability of reroll wounds of one. But uh, otherwise, he's just a Harlequin with be- he's a be- Harlequin with better stats because like otherwise his abilities are Harlequin's panoply, luck of the laughing god, rising crescendo, all things we've already talked about. He's also ex- pretty much like the troop, except he's the only one that's a character. So right, he's the only one that can really take the relics. True, true. Well, I mean, you've got a cu- a couple of other units uh, that can, like the Shadow Seer and Death Jester. Which don't have the same weapon types. Right. So, yeah. So, he's the only one who could take, like, Gorex Rose or... Storied Sword. Storied Sword. You're right. The Shadow Seer could take Crescendo if they wanted to. Since right. Since it is a pistol, but... Yes. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I, and, yes, then there's the uh, the Harlequin's... what? So, like... The Harlequin's Kiss, Harlequin's Caress, and Harlequin's Embrace. This increasingly uncomfortable to talk about set of weapon names, once upon a time, had very different abilities. And by once once upon a time, I mean last edition. Now, all Harlequin weapons have the exact same profile, but they are not, they could have just called them Harlequin weapons, and they chose not to uh, for a specific reason. So they are all plus one strength, minus two AP, two damage. Which is good. Having a strength four weapon on Eldar is always melee is always good. AP minus two is nothing to sneeze at. Two damage is solid, especially like the troop master has six attacks. Regular troop members have four attacks. So like you've got lots of chances to get hits in and do damage. What each one gives you though is a keyword. So if you have a Harlequin's kiss, you have the Harlequin's kiss keyword. Same for the Harlequin's caress. Same for the Harlequin's embrace. And that matters. Normally, we would save stratagems for the end, but I think this is kind of important because this is the only this is the only thing these stratagems are for. Is there are three? There's kiss of death, oblivion's caress, and deadly embrace. So, for example, kiss of death. Use the stratagem in the fight phase when a harlequin's kiss unit is selected to fight. Until that fight is resolved. Each time a model in this unit makes a melee attack, an unmodified wound roll of six inflicts a mortal wound on the target in addition to the normal damage, but they can only suffer up to six mortal wounds. So if you have a Harlequin's Kiss, you have a chance to do an extra mortal wound on a wound of six. Oblivion's Caress, if you have a Harlequin's Caress unit, uh, until the fight is resolved, each time a model in that unit makes a melee attack, no invulnerable saves are allowed. And then Deadly Embrace, uh, if you have a Harlequin's Embrace unit, when they make a charge move or perform a heroic intervention, select an enemy unit, not counting vehicles or monsters, and for each model in the Harlequin's Embrace unit, you roll a d6. For each four up, that enemy unit suffers one mortal wound to a maximum of six mortal wounds. So, 
if I'm a character, I do not want to take a Harlequin's Embrace because it means I'm rolling one die. So I would not take a Harlequin's Embrace on a Troop Master at all. On the other hand, the Caress or the Kiss, like the Caress is definitely very good. Also, the Oblivion's Caress does not require you to do the attacks. Well, I guess he can't have the sword and a Harlequin's. He has to replace right. his Harlequin's Blade. So, Right. Which the Harlequin's Blade is only strength three, but does give him an extra attack, which would get him up to seven. Yeah, I think... You could also switch out the sword for the always hitting story sword. You could, yeah. The, the <laughs> or story or sword the would... kiss for the Kragrath Rose. True. Which lets you re-roll the wound rolls, right? So Kagorak's Rose would give you more opportunities to get the six to wound for Kiss of Death. Honestly, with the Troop Master, like, Storied Sword is really good. Yeah. <laughs> but Storied Sword is really good and free, if like, yes. that's your free relic. Otherwise, the Harlequin's Caress is not a bad option if you have if you want to just kill characters who have invuln saves. Yeah. See, moving on, we've got the Shadow Seer, who is their one Psyker, who also has a six-inch aura of Harlequin's core character units, so not tied to Sadith, just any Harlequin character. Although, again, you need to be running the whole, everybody with the same Sadith to get the benefit anyway. But uh, Harlequin's core, Harlequin's character units within six inches of this model, so you subtract one from wound rolls against them, which also means the... Uh, Shadow Seer itself has a minus one wound roll ability on itself. Otherwise, they have two powers from Phantasmancy plus Smite. And they've got a Hallucinogen Grenade Launcher, which you do roll-offs against uh, leadership rather than a strength strength check against their toughness. Yep, and it goes straight to a mortal wound if, if it goes. So Assault D3 means you'll get up to three roll-offs to maybe do up to three mortal wounds. Yeah, and with, again, having powers that can reduce, you know, having a psychic power that can knock somebody's leadership down, you can make that to where, unless you roll very poorly, you'll almost always get the the mortal wounds off of that. And it is a blast weapon, so large, like a larger unit will take the full three dice. Right, and then the Neuro Disruptor, I'm happy that it, it's, it was really good when they first introduced it, then last edition it was not good, and now it's it's decent again. I, I, I am pleased that it's useful yeah because you know it's it's a one shot like you know it's a it's pistol one so you only get one shot per turn but strength six not bad ap minus three great one damage okay fine but each time you make an attack with it if you hit you also just cause a mortal wound unless it's against a vehicle so an automatic mortal if you hit and then a chance to do an extra damage is great you have the troop which uh is their appropriately troop choice although different spelling and this is where having the harlequin's kiss embrace and caress gets a little weird because you can have like if you have 10 or fewer models you can replace up to two models there you can replace their blades with harlequin's caresses and up to two models can replace their blades with harlequin's embraces anybody can have a harlequin's kiss instead of a harlequin blade However, you only have to have, like, one Harlequin's, like, embrace to get the full unit to have the embrace effect. Because it's not models with the Harlequin's embrace. It's the unit gains the keyword. So there's a little bit of weirdness there. But it also means you have to track which model has the Harlequin's, like, has the special Harlequin weapon. Because well, it means... that's not hard. They're, they're each modeled differently. 
they are modeled differently, but it's like as far as like when you take losses, you have to be like careful about Aware. which ones yeah. you pull, pull. because Perfect. then you'll yeah. lose the keyword because the, you only have the keyword so long as you have any models equipped with that particular weapon. Right. So it's a little weird. It, 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 I consider it just like bonuses. So yeah, I, you definitely would, if you want full options, have at least one of each in the group. If you take us like a five player unit, uh, you could have three and then two bonus or give the lead player the sword, which I do find it interesting that they've kind of gone to having a lead player. Cause it used to be the troop master and the players. And then they t- last edition they took out the troop master and made him an HQ and it was just only players. So they've kind of brought back the troop master model as the lead player as the only one that can take the sword. So yeah, it, it's it's an interesting you, but I do like how yeah, give one of each of the keyword on there and then pull as needed based on the foes you are going to be fighting. Yeah, and point wise, all three Harlequins options are the same. They're all five points. So yeah, yeah. The only uh, difference now is how many command points to use their abilities, right? And you can only use each one once per phase. So if you have two units with Harlequins like embraces, you can't use the the deadly embrace on both of them. You're gonna have to pick who you True. use it on. Gives you versatility. <laughs> it does. Um, we've got now we get into a couple more characters. We have the Death Jester, who has changed a bit. Like his, uh. He used to be like he was kind of your heavy weapons anti-infantry guy because when he killed somebody, it would cause them to explode and then do more mortal wounds to the rest rest of the unit. He no longer has that. He also used to have two modes of fire on his sh- shrieker cannon. Now, instead, it is just a assault three, 30 inch range, strength six, AP minus two, two damage shuriken weapon. So it can get up to AP minus five, which is great. Or no, AP minus four, because it's minus two. Uh, it can get up to AP minus four, which is still really, really good. And he's a sniper, but without the mortal wound generation that snipers normally have. Also, uh, each time he destroys a model, it counts as two for the purposes of morale. So he his role has changed to being a character hunter, which I think is fine. I don't know. My my role for him used to be standing in places where there's no enemy units because they didn't get near and doing actions or the whatnot. We'll, we'll see how he plays out. Uh, then there's the solitaire. The solitaire is like the one character here who does not have a Sadeth. And that is because the solitaire, as the name implies, stands alone in Harlequin culture. The solitaire represents the god Slanesh in uh, the various plays and dances that the Harlequin troops perform. And thus the solitaire is also the, one of the only Eldari who does not wear soul stone. The solitaire knows that when they die, Slanesh gets them. But as a trade-off, the solitaire is a beast in combat. Uh, so 12 inches of movement. So already faster on foot than any of the, other Harlequin infantry uh, weapon skill, ballistic skill two, four strength and toughness, which was up from three last edition. So <laughs> that's a huge improvement. Oh, that's for, yeah, that's, that's huge. Five wounds, eight attacks. 
the solitaire's weapons are all uh they're strength plus two ap minus three two damage so uh he's hitting at strength six which is really good for an eldari model besides all the normal panoply luck of the laughing god rising crescendo abilities he also has impossible form he has a three up and vulnerable save uh, he can never have a relic or warlord trait because of his path of damnation. The solitaire is doomed to die to Slanesh. And then once per battle in the movement phase, instead of making a normal move, you can make a blitz move. If you do so, until the end of the turn, you add 2d6 inches to the model's move characteristic, which is already 12. So on average, it's going to be 19. And you add two additional attacks. So once per game, you can just rush across the field and then lay into a, a unit and and do terrible, terrible things to it. Yeah, and the way Overwatch is now, they, he doesn't really have to worry about dying to Overwatch. This is true. And with a three up and vulnerable save and five wounds, he's even then he's not li- like even if an Overwatch shot gets through, he's not likely to die to Overwatch. So I, I'm still remembering Tau Warriors killing mine in and Overwatch. That was a that was that was a different time, Dennis. It was a different time. Let it go. <laughs> I still had a tear. <laughs> I know you did. But no, he's he is he is still very much like again a blender style unit. And and he could be a character hunter, a I'm gonna kill all your objectives. He can get to your back lines, our opponent's back lines quickly. Yeah. Yeah. He is what an Eversore assassin wishes he could be. <laughs> that's that's fair. That's fair. Uh and then uh then we have Skyweavers, which are the Harlequin bikes. They haven't changed a whole lot, although uh haywire cannons work a bit differently. A little bit differently, not a lot differently. They used to be assault D6, they're now heavy D3 plus one, but they're bikers, so they don't care about the penalty. They are blast weapons. So instead of getting possibly six shots, but maybe only one, now it's two to four shots. They do D3 damage to everything instead of only one damage to non-vehicles. Uh, strength, the strength is three, which is not great against infantry, but uh, they also always wound vehicles on a four up. Uh, AP minus three, which is great. Yeah, against vehicles, four ups always wound and unmodified wound rolls of six do an additional D3 mortal wounds but I believe that is only against a vehicle. Yes. I was very fond of the, the shirking cannons, but they also got changed from assault to heavy in this edition. So yeah, even though it's actually more points, I, I like the haywire cannons now. And uh, also much like other Eldari jet bikes, you don't roll to make advanced rolls for them. You just automatically add six, which gives them 22 inches of movement if they advance. And they do have rising crescendo so they can advance and charge. Although they can't advance and fire their heavy weapons. That is, there is that. Yes, they cannot do that anymore. So, um, I guess they could throw their star bolas. That's an assault weapon. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, the, you could throw the, the, the bolas, which did get an extra point of strength and I think an extra damage. But why would you use that when you can just use a Zephyr Glaive and get them into melee combat? Which gets them up to, you know, five strength, AP minus two, two damage, and they're four attacks each. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, the Zephyr Glaives are definitely better if you if you get stuck in. If you're planning on avoiding getting stuck in, the Star Bolas aren't a bad okay, fallback. That's fair. That is fair. The interesting thing here is their Mirage Launchers used to be hit rolls were at minus one to them. And now it changed mm-hmm. to just hit rolls cannot be re-rolled. And right. I guess to make up for that, they, their Harlequin's Mask ability, which is, I believe, new, subtracts one from hit rolls while they're in melee combat. So they still have it. 
Except only in melee. So shooting them is a little easier. But I, I think I think that kind of shows that they're wanting that you wanting you to use the star bullets, I think, a bit more. Where like, okay, you get into melee, but you're harder to hit, and then you can just with rising crescendo, you just fall back and then you throw star bullets at them again. Yeah, they could be. Or I don't know. I, I still like the Zephyr Glaive of running in and having the twenty two inch movement and still being able to charge after. That's just that's just really nice. Uh, and then we get into the last two vehicles they have, the Void Weavers, which are their like heavy weapons. This is their heavy support choice, which basically has a slightly smaller version of the uh, Prism Lance that's on the uh, the Fire Prism tank that the Eldari have. Uh, it also has, in much the same way, two styles of fire, one of which is heavy to, like, the 36-inch range, so not quite as large range, but heavy to strength 12 AP minus 4 2D3, or a heavy 3D3 blast at strength 5 AP minus 3 1 damage. However, they don't have any, I don't believe, any stratagems that let them link them together the way the Fire Prism does. No, no. <laughs> they have a person on top aiming it. Right. But uh, still, that's not a bad anti-tank weapon to be mounting on a, a fast skimmer platform. Although, I will note that uh, Void Weavers do not have Rising Crescendo. So, right. if they get locked in and they fall back, they lose the ability to shoot. Yeah, and I don't. I, I normally love the Prismatic Cannon, but I would be half tempted to, if you're going vehicle hunting, leave them with a Void Weaver Haywire Cannon. Right, which is just a heavier version of what the Sky Skyweaver has at one extra strength and two D three shots rather than the D three plus one. Otherwise, the exact same like extra ability profile. Right. Yeah, the like the Void Weaver. It, I guess it depends on what I'm going because like if I'm in an environment where there's not a lot, like if the meta is such that there aren't a lot of vehicles, I think the, right. the prismatic right. cannon is the better option. Hands down, better. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then the fire final Harlequin's data sheet is the Star Weaver, which uh, is their transport, and it is armed with two shuriken cannons. That's it. <laughs> uh, it also does not have Rising Crescendo, but it is open-topped, which means the uh, Harlequin's inside can shoot out of it. And it uh, and all these vehicles have the same hollow fields, Mirage Launchers, Ride the Wind ability, and it does have a capacity of six for six Harlequins of the same Sadath, which does mean you cannot put a solitaire ever inside one of your transports. He is, he is going to be on foot and running around like crazy to kill things. The solitaire runs alone. As, as he should, as you know, nobody wants, nobody wants to ride with Slanesh. And the one part I will point out about the Mirage launchers is these are the, the good Mirage launchers better than the jet bikes have. Cause these are, they can't re-roll their two hit rolls against them, and they have to subtract one from hit attacks against them. From all hit rolls, not just in melee. Correct. Uh, there is one other thing, before we get into stratagem, there is one other thing that uh, the Harlequins have. This was something that was actually added in the Psychic Awakening supplement they did in White Dwarf. Uh, which, unfortunately, I don't have that copy of White Dwarf anymore. Uh, I did not maintain it in the move. But they have a system called Pivotal Rolls, which is their style of upgrade, much like we had the Exarch powers in the uh, previous episode. Uh, the Pivotal Rolls allow 
individual characters in the Harlequin army to get extra abilities. Uh, each of these raises their power rating by one. You can't have the same one twice in the same army, and all model can only have one of these. They all range from like 15 to 30 points, so some of them are a little pricey. Well, before we get them, the thing I'll point out that's nice about these is it just matters that they you have a Harlequin detachment to have them. So you can still have these in your player's detachment to go with your Eldari army, because it does not have to be an entire Harlequin army, just a detachment. Right. I don't know if that makes up for losing La- Luck of the Laughing God, but it is nice to know that they are available <laughs> regardless of how you build. Okay, However, you fair. have to have a Harlequin's detachment, which means when we get to the next thing we get to, you cannot use that in this case. It, we're talking Inari there. but uh, So, like, troop masters can take... Prince of Light gives them a six-inch aura of plus one to charge rolls for friendly Sadath core units. Queen of Shards, each time this model makes a melee attack on an unmodified wound roll of five up, you can't take invulnerables against it. Again, they're starting to hand out more of this invulnerable taking away. I don't know if this is a bothering trend or like if I find this trend bothersome or not, but it is showing up more and more. I'm liking it, and it's not like units that have it. It's normally characters or specific powers. So it's very targeted where the places it is, you're picking it because you want to remove it from people. And it, it'll help because right now Invulnerables are just out there, and they're, they've almost been handed out like candy recently, too. This is true. This is true. So maybe that's to kind of bring things into balance a bit. And we didn't really start seeing that a lot until, like, the Tau Codex. So hopefully maybe that's the counter to some of the, the custode stuff is there's more invulnerable stealing. Right. But, well, uh, or because invul- I mean, Eldar, look at the Eldari book we that, here is all aspect warriors now have invulnerable saves. That's true. So this book has very good internal balance as it is good defe- at defeating <laughs> itself. <laughs> uh, so, and then the last one, Veiled King, this one begs to be put on a troop master with a storied sword. Each time this model makes a melee attack, unless the target is a vehicle or monster unit, an unmodified wound roll of two is always successful. And so you're saying auto hit and wounding on, on twos? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's just like, I just, I'm, I'm just going to cut down on dice rolls now. <laughs> it speeds up the game, right? Uh, true. However, he can't, because his, his aura only affects Harlequin core units, he can't re-roll his own wound rolls of one. Fair. So that's the downside of the first one. That is the downside of the first one. But uh, yeah, I think like Veiled King with the right gear is very, very strong. Otherwise, Queen of Shards is yeah. a really, yeah. really tight contender. Queen of Shards is also the most expensive, but I could see either of those being good. Uh, Death Jesters, uh, their pivotal role. And again, these are representing the pivotal roles they play in both their stage life and on the battlefield. Uh, Death Jesters can take Harvester of Torment each time this model makes a ranged attack. An unmodified hit roll of six scores three additional hits. <laughs> so not just one, not just two, but three. Lord of Crystal Bones, each time this model shoots, if any hits are scored unless the target is a vehicle or monster, until the start of your next turn, subtract two from their move characteristic to a minimum of zero, and the target cannot fire Overwatch or set defend. Hey, if you were worried about that solitaire before, you don't need to be. Okay, that that, that one is just nice. Yeah, and this is a very, very melee-focused faction, so 
Uh, that is really good there. And then Rift Ghoul, each time this model makes an attack, the target does not receive the benefit of cover. And unmodified wound rolls of four up inflict a mortal wound on an, on the target in addition to any normal damage. Okay, Honestly, that's just, all wow. Th- all three of these are good. Yeah, and I would lean toward 15- one of the bottom two. Yeah, Harvester Torment still, though, being able to, you know, theoretically rack up, you know, some, like, Super Tesla, basically. Yeah, I don't know, I, I like having four up cause mortal wounds probably the best, but I also like no Overwatcher set to defend. Yeah, I mean, all of these are good. Like, it, I don't think you can go wrong taking any of them. Just, like, th- this is definitely pick to taste. Solitaires get Prince of Sins... Each time an attack is made against this model, subtract one from the hit roll, and the hit roll can't be re-rolled. Okay, it's nice. Uh, Specter of Despair, during deployment, you can set this model, set up this model haunting the foe instead of setting it up on the battlefield. Uh, and then during reinforcement, you basically you can deep strike a solitaire. But he has to be more than nine inches away. More than nine inches away, but each time a charge roll is made for the model, roll an additional D6 and drop the and discard one of your choice. So you've got a yeah. really good chance to make a nine-inch charge. I don't know. Just He's got so much movement already. I don't know if this is one's needed. Probably not, but it is also the cheapest one, so I think that's fair. Uh, and then Thirsting Darkness. Each time the model advances, do not make an advanced roll. Just add six. And each time the model piles in or consolidates, the model can move an additional three inches. So six inch advances, six inch consolidation and pile in. The, sh- the solitaire is going to tie people up. It's going to get into assault and it's going to tie people up. I mean, that's like the jet bike thing of 18 inches and then you can Eight, still yeah. charge. And basically like that, it's not as powerful as a full on blitz because you can't advance and blitz at the same time. Fair. But being able to, like, yeah, move 18 inches and then do a charge is fantastic. And then uh, Shadow Seers either get an aura of uh, minus one attacks to any enemy units within six inches. That's the most <laughs> expensive at 30, but yeah. Gloom Spider in the command phase, select an enemy unit within 12 inches until the... St- uh, until the start of your next command phase, enemy units cannot benefit from that enemy unit's aura abilities. Shut down That's auras the on one enemy characters. I like. I like that one. It does require you to get a little bit close to the enemy, but... I'm Harlequin, so I'm going to be close. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. And then a mirror architect, another aura. Uh, while a friendly Sadath unit is within six inches of this model, each time the en- an enemy unit is selected to shoot, when measuring the range, the that unit is considered to, like the Sadath unit is considered to be six inches further away. That's nice. That's twenty. That's twenty five points. But on a smaller battlefield, I don't know how often that extra six inches is going to make that big a difference. Yeah. Like honestly, I think like. Agent of Pandemonium is really good, but I think Gloom Spider might actually be the one to go for in that That's case how if you're going to take this. I, I just get very tired of auras. Yeah. When auras are such force multipliers, yeah, just being able to shut shut one down can get you so much. We've got their stratagems. They get two pages of stratagems, although we don't have to cover three of them because we've already talked about them. And That's the uh, Harlequin weapon ones. Prismatic Blur used the stratagem in your movement phase when a Harlequin's infantry unit from your army advances more than eight inches, which means if you've advanced because your movement is eight. So 
And since advance is just added to your movement, you get a three up invuln to your next command phase. That one's pretty good. I don't want, I don't want to hit all of these. Uh, virtue, but I do like virtuosos of the webway. You can pull a Harlequin's model uh, that is not in engagement range off the table and put it back into reserves. So then later in the game, like the next turn or so, you could have it come out from like a different table edge. Murderous spectacle adds one to the damage of your melee weapons to a maximum of three, which is going to hit most of your Harlequin weapons. War dancers cost three CP, but lets you fight a second time. There's no price too steep, which lets your Harlequin characters fight after they die. And if it was a solitaire model or if you were destroyed by a chaos unit, they get an extra attack and strength, which is cool. Hero's Path, this one changed a bit because it used to require you to have like a Troop Master, Death Jester, and Shadow Seer, all three running very close together. And instead, you have a Troop Master, and then you select a Death Jester or Shadow Seer somewhere else on the battlefield. And until the end of the turn, they both get two inches of movement, and they both add one to their charge range. So I think it's definitely easier to use that one. And again, like, like Torments of the Fiery Pit lets you add one to your strength and attacks if you've lost, if your character other than a solitaire has lost any wounds. Uh, Dramatic Entrance lets you uh, heroically intervene with any Harlequin's infantry unit. Uh, this is an interesting one. Mocking Laughter. You have a Death Jester within 12 inches of enemy unit, and that enemy unit cannot uh, automatically pass morale with Insane Bravery. You cannot use that stratagem on them. And if they take a morale test, if they fail a morale test, they automatically fail any actions they were performing. I mean, I do really like that one. That's what you were talking about. Stopping actions. At the same time, Insane Bravery has saved me so many times by just keeping that one unit on the table. Just having a way of saying, uh, no, I've heard them enough. You're, you're not being saved. It's right. just a good feeling. And also, uh, not only can they not use Insane Bravery, they can't use any rule that allows them to re-roll morale tests. Right. So, yeah, it's like if, oh, you're failing morale, you're fa- you, you know, you think you're going to fail morale, you're going to fail morale. And then the one above it, I still like for the mobility of the curtain falls, it lets you actually get back into a transport after you're um, consolidating. So kill something, have transport nearby, go get in. Yeah. Considering that the, like, the rest of the Eldar army isn't allowed to, like, use abilities to get back into transports most of the time, having one lets the Harlequins kind of stand out as something different. And then, finally, that takes us to the last faction. The smallest faction, oh, I might Chapter approved add. rules? Oh, oh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> that takes us to the... Okay, so that takes us to the Harlequins chapter approved rules. Now, last time we looked at the Asriani ones and we were like, eh, we eh. didn't really care, f- care for any of them. So, for Harlequins, under No Mercy, No Respite, we get a deadly performance. At the end of your turn, score three victory points if two or more of the following conditions apply. You har- a Harlequin's unit from your army controls an objective marker you didn't control at the start of the turn. A uh, Harlequin's unit from your army is wholly within your op- opponent's deployment zone. Two or more enemy units were destroyed by an attack made with a ranged weapon by a Harlequin's model from your army. Three or more enemy units were destroyed by an attack made with melee weapons by a Harlequin's model from your army during this turn. I mean, I'm kind of okay the with The wording this. on that last one is really weird. Three or more enemy units were destroyed by an attack made by made with a melee weapon by a Harlequin's model from your army. It's I know what they mean, but it's weirdly worded. 
Yeah. So do you kill two in range? Do you kill three in melee? Do you hang out in their deployment zone or do you control an objective that you didn't have before? Yeah. Um, but you have to do two of those. Yep. In a turn. I think it's doable. I think this one would be rough to try and max out, but I think it, it's definitely doable. Uh, yeah, I think you could easily, I think six to nine points out of this one would be doable, but yeah, any, like later in the game, it's going to be really hard to control objectives that you didn't already control. No, just, just rotate your bikes. Just put them off of, of melee duty and have them like go between objectives. They've got what, 22 inches? Well, yeah, but it has to be like, you'd have to like be on the objectives, then be off of the objectives, then be on the objectives again, because it's, oh, that's right. Because one you do, yeah, not just this unit, but you don't control. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You Ooh, can't just harder. rotate them My between bad. objectives. Yeah. Yeah. So late in the game, it's going to be really hard to do. Battlefield supremacy gets take your places. If you select the secondary objective after both sides have finished deploying, you must set up an additional objective marker in your opponent's deployment zone. Then your opponent must set up an additional objective marker in your deployment zone and one additional objective marker within six inches <laughs> of the center of the battlefield. They cannot be set up within nine inches of each other, within six inches of an edge, or within an inch of another objective marker. These take your place objective markers represent the positions that must be taken up by the Harlequins for their performance but do not count as objective markers for any other rules purposes than for (laughs) this one at the end of your turn you score two victory points if you control two of them if you control three all three you score four victory points Uh, this one's (laughs) kind of neat i i i honestly think this one's doable uh harder to again uh, maybe not maxing out but over five turns I think you could get a good number of points on that one. And the fact that they don't interact with the other objective markers does allow you to, like, you don't have to worry about your opponent scoring off of them. Just And it also means your opponent's going to have to decide, do they want to try to push you off of these or hold on to the main objective markers? So I kind of like making your opponent have to decide, do I want to let them get points or do I want to try to hold on to these other points? And then finally, war, uh, we veil, which uh, you have to have a shadow seer to do this one. If you select this objective, shadow seer models from your army can attempt the following psychic action: uh, warp charge four, we veil. Um, you have to be within twelve inches of enemy unit that has not been veiled by your army. If the psychic a- action is successfully completed, select an enemy unit that has not yet been veiled from your army within twelve inches of the shadow seer. That enemy is now said to have been veiled, and the warp charge value of the psychic action is increased by one. Uh, score three victory points each time a unit from your. So basically, you have to get within twelve inches of an enemy unit you haven't done this to before, and then you're just like, "Woo! I wave my hands. You are veiled now. Yay!" That's it. That that that's the objective. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it. You'd have to to really pull this off. I think you'd have to have um, two shadows. Sh- yeah, yeah. And also, only one of them can do it at a time. So you'd have to have two shadow seers who can move, like who you are moving around when they're like w- one is performing the action, the second one is getting in position for the next turn and just keep moving them back and like around well, like that. Also, the second one is then casting the the other psychic abilities. You actually have the shadow seers there for. Right. <laughs> uh, this one is, yeah, it's h- going to be hard to pull off a- in a meaningful way to, to max out like to get a good scoring i think you could probably get six points off of this one much more beyond that's going to be tricky 
So honestly, I, I like Take Your Places. I think Take Your Places is one that could be dropped into any mission. Although the other the flip side of Taking Places is if you are trying to take places, you might not be taking the other objectives as much. But you can take an object, take place, and kill people off of objectives, so deny them scoring. Yeah, it, it's it. We'll have to see how it starts playing out. Yeah. Like, I like them better than the Astriani ones, but I don't, again, I don't see any of these that are like, oh, no, you must take this. This is the, the you know, this is a definite, like, good one for the army. But they're not bad. I'd like to see how they actually play out. And then finally, the last, <laughs> the last faction, the smallest faction, yet the weirdest faction, is the Inari. Now, the Inari are unique in the fluff in that they actually have a new god, which the Eldar have not really had. And in fact, like this, during the whole Gathering Storm storyline that launched 8th edition, the Inari became a thing. And basically, we mentioned in the last episode that the craft worlds all have an infinity circuit, which is where they put soul stones so that they can kind of keep all the souls of dead Eldari together, safe from Slanesh, and that eventually they have this thought that if the, one day, if all the Eldari die and are united in the Infinity Circuit, it will cause Ineid, the god of the dead for the Eldari, to rise and be powerful enough to defeat Slanesh once and for all. And the Eldari just... Basically, and I think a lot of this was uh, was Eldrad Ulthwan's doing, <laughs> or, or you know, he definitely played a, an important part in this. But basically, it's like things transpired in such a way that uh, why wait to summon our new god when we can start worshiping it now? And this happened with uh, Ivrain, who was an Eldar who had actually like traveled multiple paths, like not just inside Craftworld society, but. She had been in the craft worlds. She had spent time as a Corsair. She had even spent time, I think, running around with witch cults at one point. And in fact, she was in the gladiatorial pits in Kimora when she died. And then she got better. And that kicked off an entire quest to find the various, like the crone swords, which are these ancient Eldari weapon relics claimed to be made from the hand of Morai Heg, the who cut off her hand to get wisdom. There's a whole mythology behind this, and we don't have time to dig into this now, because I don't want this to be a four-hour episode. I refuse that <laughs> challenge. So you're waiting till we do a lore episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, we our coverage, actually, if you go back and listen to the old 8th edition, like the, the Gathering Storm episodes, we go into the, the lore in detail there. And the lore hasn't changed, so all that information is still relevant. Right. And so, yeah, Ineid basically found herself uh, imbued with the power of death and rebirth. And she started, like, some of the Drukari started following her, and then she started traveling to, like, using the webway to travel to other craft worlds all the time the forces of Sinesh following her desperately including through the streets of Kimura which the the uh, Drukari were not happy with into the craft worlds which is why the infinity circuit in the craft world of Beltan shattered but when it shattered a new avatar was born and not an avatar of Kane but an avatar of Ineid if I remember right uh Ariel came running with uh, with Corsairs and the forces of Eandon, and 
Ariel died and she brought him back to life, which is also why his curse no longer, the Spear of Twilight has no curse over him now. And she was also in, she was also critical in bringing uh, Raboot Guleman back to life because he actually died briefly. Uh, Raboot Guleman had been poisoned by Fulgrim, who is also in service of Slaanesh. And he had basically put put into stasis so that he was always on the verge of death for like thousands of years, but he was just frozen in time. And so he was given new armor by Belisarius Call, but he had to be taken out of stasis. And he and once he was taken out of stasis, he died. And then Evrain brought brought him back to life. And so he like she's played a huge role in the galaxy. And she's also this unifying uh, force for this new faction of the Eldar called the Inari, who basically are a mix of Harlequins and Drukhari and Asriani, uh, all following in service of the god of death and with the goal of eventually defeating Slanesh. Now, in the past, the Inari rules were really weird. Like, you had to take one of the named Inari characters and then you could take units from like all the different like craft worlds and and harlequins and such and drukari but they would get different abilities and they were their own thing and the balance on having three different factions of ability of units like all working together getting the balance on like either inari were terrible or they were overpowered and so now what they've done with the inari is they've basically made them another craft world rules wise so an inari can be considered a craft world detachment and they have a craft world of attribute called strength from death which you always fight first and if you a unit is below starting strength they add one to their hit roll so like if a model in the unit has died everybody else in the unit gets better which is better than it used to be because it used to you have to wait for like another unit in the game to die before they could get any benefit for a turn so now it's more consistent but what gets weird with the Inari is their army building. So, a craft world detachment that is from the Inari can also include Harlequins, Cabal Drukhari units, Witch Cult Drukhari units, Incubi units, and Scourges. But for each of these units it includes, it must include at least one Asriani unit with the same battlefield role. So if you want to take Cabalite Warriors, you have to take Guardians or Rangers. If you want to have uh, a troop of Harlequins, you have to take a, a troop unit of Asriani. Also, Harlequins and Drukhari units lose their Sadath, Cabal, or Witch Cult faction keywords. They gain the Inari keyword, and because the Inari keyword is considered a replacement for the Craft World keyword, they get Strength from Death. Inari Psychers lose Runes of Fate, but they get access to the Revenant Discipline, which is Inari only. Harlequin Transports lose the every reference to Sadath. Uh, Inari Harlequins cannot have pivotal role upgrades, the ones we just talked about. Drukari units cannot be given any Lords of Kimura or Favored Retinue upgrades. So if you want to do like Trueborn Warriors, you can't. That's not an option. You cannot include Phoenix Lords, uh, Anrath or Corsair units, uh, Avatar of Cain models, Solitaire models, or any named characters that do not have the Inari keyword in an Inari detachment. Also, units can only get into their appropriate former faction transports. Asriani can only be in Asriani transports. Harlequins only in Harlequin transports. 
The Vizark and Ivrain, which are two special named Inari characters, can get into anybody's transports. Also, your Incubi and Scourges are more expensive because Incubi are apparently, like, Incubi are really good. They're too good to mix in with everything, so they're more expensive point-wise. Now, with all this, I have said, if you are mixing and matching these, there's one other thing that happens. You lose Strands of Fate. You lose Power from Pain. You lose Luck of the Laughing God. If you take a, a mixed Inari detachment, which seems do like a use, really... Do you, I don't know. Do you lose Strands from Fate? Because if you include... Because Strands from Fate... If every unit from your army has the Asuriani keyword, ah, okay, Harlequins and Drukari right, right. do not. Right, right. So you lose all those army-specific abilities. I do not think Strength from Death is enough to make up for that. That's your like Craft World key, you know, ability. I mean, I'm thinking what they think makes up for that is you can have three different factions of units in the same detachment, but you also don't <laughs> get. Like, witches without power from pain don't work right. Like, they, they they don't get the extra buffs that they need as the game goes on. Also, because you don't have a Drukari detachment, you don't get Drukari stratagems. Right. You have to worry. I mean, this really feels like it's, it's an Eldari base with the other kind of things flavored in. Mm-hmm. As opposed to a Drukari base. You also don't get your Harlequin stra- uh, stratagem. So, like, you, your Harlequins can't use their Harlequin weapons properly. <laughs> I didn't think about that one. Yeah, you're right. Well, okay, no, I take that back. If your army is battleforged and includes any Asuriani or Harlequins detachments, which, okay. which this is considered and- an Asuriani detachment. It is. So, no, I take that back. You do still get your Harlequin stratagems. Good. So you don't that lose would be those. really silly. <laughs> Right. But you do lose Drukari stratagem. So you can't use anything that keys off. Like, it's almost, it's a really bad idea to put Harlequins in here or Drukari, and especially Drukari. If I was going to do an Inari army, I would do all Asuriani Inari because then they would still get Strands of Fate. Like, they don't lose battle focus, but they'd all get Strands of Fate and then take a traveling traveling players which you still won't get luck of the laughing god but if you want to have harlequins do that instead because then you don't lose strands of fate because if rain has strands of fate and so does the vizark and so does the incarn so taking drukari is abs taking drukari and harlequins mixed in is actually detrimental to how the army plays it just does not work right i wonder if they and got- I don't know. Yeah, it's no, it's like Inari are taking Inari to take the mixed units and you can't take mixed detachments. It's not like like if you take a Drukari detachment, they don't get the Inari stuff. But right. you would still you would still not have uh I think you still lose strands of strands of fate is for the entire army. So if you Yes. So yeah, if you drop in a Drukari detachment, you'd still lose Strands of Fate. So right, it's yeah, it's, and also Eldari can't be your one shared keyword in army building and competitive right. play. So you couldn't do that anyway. So it's like in the effort to make sure that they don't overpower the Inari, I think they made them 
they made them where you really should only ever play pure Asriani and Ari. Yeah, like a craft so, world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like you play play them like another craft world. And as another craft world, they're not bad, but I would not play them mixed the way that they intend. And so, like, they have three data sheets. There's Yvrain, who is a is a cool psyker hero character. Uh, she has a, f- a four-up invulnerable save. Uh, wound rolls of one to three automatically fail against her, which makes her, her tough three much less of a liability. Anytime another Eldari model within six inches of her is destroyed on, on a four up, she regains a lost wound. And if it was a psyker, she gains a psych, a psychic power from a revenant that she didn't already know. And she starts off with two from revenant. So eventually if you, if you have enough psychers die, she can have nearly all of them. And she can re-roll all her psychic tests, so... I mean, the downside of what she doesn't have, she doesn't have a ghost helm. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so she can still take mortal wounds from Perils of the Warp. Right. Uh, there's the Vizark, who is basically a bodyguard for her. He does have kind of the captain ability to let uh, Inari within six inches re-roll hit rolls of one, which is cool. And uh, you can't target Ivrain if he's within three inches of her. And she doesn't. He doesn't take up uh, an HQ slot if you if you have Ivrain in the army. So that's cool. He's got a decent sword. He has two up armor and a four up invuln, which is really rare in this army. I mean, he's not quite Phoenix Lord good, but he's he's not bad. If you're gonna play Inari, the Vizark's not a bad add in. And also, when Eldari models, any models within six inches of him die, he regains a wound on a four-up and can gain an additional attack if it was a character. So, whereas she gets psychic powers, he gets attacks from characters dying. And the part I was going to bring is his sword actually ignores vulnerable, invulnerable saves on a four-up when it wounds. Yes. So, uh, he's he's not bad. I think Autarchs are generally better. But he doesn't take up a slot to compete with them. You just have to fit him in points-wise. Uh, and then there's the Incarn, who uh, is, you know, basically the Incarn is the avatar of Inid. Uh, and much like the avatar of Kane, has a four-up invulnerable save and halves all incoming damage. Uh, can never have a Relic or Warlord trait. Does have Battle Focus and sta- Strands of Fate. Um, Inari core units within 12 inches ignore modifiers to their combat attrition test. So again, very avatar abilities. Yeah. Yeah. Inevitable death is an interesting ability and something uh, that they've had a form of before where, you know, when a unit is like, you can set up the, uh, incarn in basically like deep strike reserves. And when the, when another unit dies on the battlefield not one of your units just when any other unit is destroyed before removing the last model you can set the incarn up within an inch of the last model in that unit as long as it's not in engagement range but you don't have to be in there's no nine inch bubble you have to worry about which is really good like you could because you don't have to do it like the first time a unit is destroyed but like if your opponent destroys like one of your units on their turn, you can then set up the Incarn and then be ready to charge in on the next turn. And it doesn't say once per battle round. So just you can use this as extra mobility if you know you want to kill something and then just move the Incarn over there right after you finish killing him. Right. And they do point out that they can't de- declare a charge or heroically intervene on the turn in which they came in. 
But again, if you'd set it up on your opponent's turn, then that's not an issue. In the shooting phase, they have a swirling soul energy ability. Each time the mall selected shoot, they can target every enemy unit within six inches, unless they're overwatching, in which case they only atar- attack the charging unit. And the swirling soul energy automatically hits. So you just have a six, basically a six inch aura of everything around me takes D6 shots at strength seven, AP minus two, one damage. And otherwise, it has a very avatar y uh, stat line, 10 inches of movement at its largest. And it actually does have uh, multiple brackets now because it gained uh, extra wounds. So it's now a 12 wound creature instead of like, I think it was like eight or nine before. Right, which really helps. I mean, it's got less toughness than the Avatar because the Avatar was an eight now and he's a seven. Um, but his sword is really good to use in melee because um, it's plus four. So it's it's hitting on anywhere between 11 strength and nine strength at the lowest bracket. At AP minus four, D3 plus three damage and ignores invulnerable saves. So that will hurt. Yeah. And to compare it to its previous version in the uh, Phoenix Rising Psychic Awakening Awakening book, um, it gained two inches of movement. So at at its bottom bracket, it has the same movement as it did before. It does, like at its bottom bracket, it does lose a couple of attacks. But it's also gained an extra strength and extra toughness. Because it used to be strength six, tough six. So now it's strength seven. Just just like the old Avatar was too. Right. Although the strength does degrade. But yeah, also that sword is, it used to be D6 damage and strength user. So you were hitting at strength six. Now, yeah, like you said, you're you're starting off hitting at strength 11. Way better. And the option of a sweeping blow to hit, to double your attacks, but at one damage each. So so, so 12 attacks, AP minus four, strength seven for one damage each. Yeah, that's, that's good for getting rid of little hordes. Or you have the big attack, like going against a demon Primarch. Hey, no armor, no invones, have fun. Also, unlike the uh, unlike the Avatar, the Incarn is a Psyker and knows all the Revenant powers. Which, let's talk about the Revenant powers real quick. There are six. Two of them are, are like, smite analogs or something similar to them. Uh, Gaze of Ennead, uh, Warp Charge 6, 18-inch range. You roll D6, subtracting two from the result if the unit had a starting strength of one. So, characters, vehicles most monsters on a one or less the unit suffers a mortal wound on a two to five this unit suffers d3 mortal wounds on a six they suffer d6 mortal wounds so units can suffer like larger units can suffer d6 otherwise you're looking at d3 minimum one you never do less damage than one which is good uh, storm of whispers uh roll 3d6 for each enemy unit within nine inches of the psyker for each four four up the enemy unit being rolled for suffers a mortal wound i mean i kind of eh. like that one but once again you're gonna have to be close and in melee type thing right word of the phoenix uh select an inari infantry unit uh excluding wraith construct units within six inches of the psyker uh, one of that unit's destroyed models, or D3 if it's a troop, can be added back to the unit with full runes remaining. Uh, that is really cool. That That's really nice. Because Eldari have, have not had a way to bring people back like other factions have. So right. here's a way. There's Unbind Souls. Warp Charge 6. Select an enemy unit within 18 inches. Each time an Inari model from your army makes a melee attack. That targets them, unmodified hit rolls of six automatically wound. 
which is not bad if you're talking a strength three army. It's not great. I mean, that's fair, but mm, not not impressed. Not not one I would start with if I had to pick. From, you know, uh, from from these powers, shield of Ennead, uh You pick an Inari unit, not counting Titanic units, within twelve inches until the start of your next phase. Models in that unit have a four up and vulnerable. That's really good. Yes. And then ancestors grace. Pick a friendly Inari unit within eighteen inches of the Psyker until the start of your next psychic phase. They add one to their wound rolls on melee attacks. Also very good. That's still decent. Yeah. Word of the like, if I had to pick two to start with, uh, Word of the Phoenix and either Shield or Ancestor's Grace, depending on what I'm doing, because then you're already going to know Smite, which I think Gaze of Idiot is kind of redundant. Yeah, I could say I don't know. I would lean towards adding either Gaze or Storm of Whispers as one because I like having that a second ability other than Smite. If you're close to somebody, then you have two ways to dish out mortal wounds. Mm-hmm. But I, I could see if if you're going for more buffing or attacking, I guess is the thing. Yeah. Uh, there's one other thing to note about the Inari is that the Inari, unlike in past versions, you do not have to take one of the named characters to take an Inari army. If you want, you can just treat it like another craft world and just use generic Farseers and Autarchs. Which I do think that's a good change because it shows yes. that the faction is growing and the fact that you don't have one, have to have one of these three air quote leaders to make it Yanari, the, the, the whole craft worlds have kind of started adopting it to become its own little faction thing where it's big enough to have its own Autark or Farseer kind of running the show while the named characters are out in a novel or something doing their own thing. Right. <laughs> and yeah, like point wise, uh, like looking at this, the Incarn comes in at 20 points cheaper than the Avatar of Kane. So it's comparable, a little bit cheaper, because, which makes sense. It's not quite as tough. But, like, the Vizark's only 95 points, which puts him on par with a decent Autark. And Evrain is 135, which puts her slightly cheaper than Eldrad. So, like, if you want to have named characters, they're def- they're in the right price range for what we would consider for named characters. I mean, I think, yeah, if you, I think approaching Asriya, or approaching Inari as, like, I'm going to do this cool mixed army is a that is a bad move unless you're doing it in like crusade play just for narrative reasons. But competitively they're a a sixth craft world basically. And that's fine. Sixth craft world with its own psychic discipline, which replaces runes of fate. So you still have runes of fortune. So you still have that you have runes of battle. So it, yeah, I think that would be the way to play them is just play them as another craft world. That's, and then you, you get the best of both worlds. And I'll say, I think this is the cleanest the rules for Yonari have been, because, as you noted, all the stuff that you lose on, on by doing the other things, I mean, yes, it, it's a hard loss for the Yonari, but in a way, it, it streamlines being able to make an army for that faction. <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I do agree that they probably should have given the Harlequins and the Drukari that join something, but at the same time... Those Harlequins and Dukari kind of have given up their past lives, so to speak, to support the Yanari and have now embraced the Yanari ways. It's just they haven't embraced them enough to get all the Craft World stuff out of it yet. Right. So, yeah, no, I agree. It's like it works the best. Narratively, it works the best. 
it is going to mess with people who like wanted to play Inari the way it had been played in previous editions. But as we, as we mentioned, the way it was in previous editions didn't quite work right either. And Games Workshop has been so careful to basically make mixed, mixed faction army, like when you can mix them within like, like either in the same army or in the same detachment, like mixing codexes is something that doesn't work well and they don't want it to work well because like we see the same thing even though we haven't talked about that book yet gene stealer cults kind of hit the same thing with what they did with uh like mixing in brood brother guard like they didn't want them to get too good together and i think that's kind of the same thing we're seeing with anari and but i think the flip side is you get a better asriani version out of it so yeah that's good and that's the book that's it that's that's the book Book okay, so we have two more hours to talk about stuff. What are we going to talk about? No, no. We're going <laughs> to wrap this one up. I'd like to get this one edited mm. at a, in a decent time this week. So. <laughs> so, I mean, like overall, though, like what's now that we've done the whole book, what's your take? Do you, do you still like what you're seeing? I, yeah, before we recorded, you said there were a couple of things that you noticed from like working on Asriani lists that kind of caught you off guard. Well, yeah, well, it's just – Things that they've air quote changed, which we didn't go into all the details of because long, but jet bikes, the wind riders, um, assault cannon or the shirking cannons used to be assault and now they're heavy. Uh, that's a big deal because it means I can do the second part of the battle focus with them of have them pop out or run and then shoot something, then move again. But I can't do the, I'm going to advance the full thing and still get all of my. My sh- I sh- well, any shots out because heavy you can't even shoot once you do that. Um, so so I that gives more good. I guess it makes me want to use the sh- the normal twin shuriken catapults more now because they're eighteen inches, which is my complaint was they always were twelve inches. Now that they're eighteen, I don't mind them anymore, and them being able to move the full advance movement and still fire it's like I, I really like that um the other one that caught me off guard was when i was trying to put my warlocks on jet bikes uh the warlock skyrunners um and found that they have a new max size of three so no more of taking like six of them and tossing in a farseer to ride along with them well not as one but as two units now you're limited to just three to hang out with the farseer so it's like i can still do the seer council stratagem but I kind of won more warlocks there. But I do like the fact that their powers are indicated by their starting strength. Because in the past, as you lost warlocks, you lost powers. So now you keep all your powers, it's just um, you lose warlocks. So th- those were some of the jump out at you things. Well, that and, oh my gosh, battalions only having three fast attack slots is hurting so badly. But then again, I think we kind of highlighted that a little yeah. bit last time. <laughs> but in practice, it, it it hurts. Avatar still looks like a beast. Yeah, I watched the – so I, I've – I'm not a big battle report watcher like on YouTube because most battle reports, I mean, they're playing the whole game out. And for me, this is a me thing, playing 40K is fun. Watching 40K is like watching paint dry sometimes. Um, <laughs> 
and nothing against the people who do battle reports. Everybody is doing their best. It's just like any sort of like let's play or like real play experience. Like even like watching stuff like Critical Role, it like is hard for me because it's just hard for me to to hold my attention. But well, their battle I, reports. I, go ahead. I guess it just like some people like playing soccer. Some people who like playing soccer can't stand watching it. So, yeah. So same yeah, as it's golf. The same thing. Yeah. Right. But um, the Warhammer TV battle reports they've been doing, uh, they kind of they they condense the game down to like the key moments. So like you're not watching every piece getting moved, but they say like each turn they're like I move this over here, I move this over here. Uh, this battle didn't work out. There here I cleared off that enemy unit. Oh here I left one guy standing. And what it ends up being like they can get a two thousand point game in like an hour because they've consolidated down everything. And they're also still taking time to explain, like, and this rule does this, like, this, I'm using this stratagem or this, yeah, and then they show them on the screen. So it's like, for me, it's, it's, it, it makes my brain happy how it's been wor- <laughs> worked out. But the most recent one they did was a mission between 2,000 points of Grey Knights and 2,000 points of Eldari. And the entire mission was, the Avatar of Cain is going to pop up randomly on the battlefield. If the Grey Knights destroy it, they win. Um, and if they don't destroy it, the Eldar player wins. And the Eldar, like, and there were three webway gates that instead of serving as, like, normal fortifications, because you can only have one anyway, um, that was, like, these are the three points where the Avatar could show up and which one it'll be will be random. And... The Grey Knights were doing really well at first, like peeling off, um, uh, like, you know, just cut, cutting through, uh, like guardians and shroud runners and bikers. <laughs> and like the, like there were some aspect, like, like the Eldar player had, uh, banshees who like cut through most of a strike squad, but then like only the, like twice in the game, only exarchs were left. And then the exarchs failed their morale check and ran off the table. So it's like, like it wasn't going like they were holding their own, but it wasn't going great for the Eldari player. And then the avatar shows up and the avatar proceeded to destroy everything it touched. Yeah. <laughs> Including I mean, like two grandma like uh two nemesis dread knights, one of which had a grandmaster in it. <laughs> and just like like the only thing the uh Grey Knights player or no, I think he may have tabled the Grey Knights player because he had a a land raider left who was just like just shredding troops because he had hurricane bolters on it. And then the Avatar came up and gave it a cross look and it exploded. <laughs> just like <laughs> It, yeah, the Avatar seems like it'll be an absolute terror in battle. And just like we were saying, I, I think we had a small disagreement on if it's a must-take or not. I still think it's it's got to be a must-take right now until it gets nerfed. It just yeah, seems that strong. It'll be interesting to see see what comes up. Oh, oh, we've got a uh, we've got a new um, our Sunday previews. Uh, we I had mentioned this earlier that they had announced that these were coming out. Uh, the Thousand Suns and Grey Knights Combat Patrols, speak of the devil, are available for available for pre order next week, along with Castellan Crow and the Infernal Master as standalone models. And that's it. So, otherwise, there's some Black Library stuff coming out in more audiobooks. But <laughs> so those Combat no. Patrols are coming, which means hopefully in like two or three weeks we'll get the Eldari Combat Patrol. 
but yeah, overall happy with the, uh, with yeah, the I, I'm happy with the, with the treatment of it. I still find it weird that Dire Avengers got moved, but I guess I shouldn't be because I was not exactly pleased when the Windriders got moved out of troops. So, I mean, I, I, I guess I, just, I adjusted to that. I'll adjust to Dire Avengers getting moved to elites. Um, although the elite slot is also elite and fast are very, very filled with choices. So I'm going to have to make choices um so yeah i overall I'm, I'm pleased i think it's a good side grade maybe an upgrade in between those um all in all everything got better but it just it's to be how they play together it has to be seen for me harlequins they i, I think they lost some stuff but they, they still should be fine I'm probably the one who's going to make a, a band of players to try and run with my eldari and then see how that goes and then, like we were talking about the Yanari, I, I really don't know because I think even to take all of them, I mean, you could, you you would need two HQ slots that are Asuriani to have like Yvrain and the Incarn, because the Vizark can just take up no slots, so he can just slide in as long as you've got Yvrain. Right. So it's it's gonna be odd or different to try and take multiple of them. No, in a in a battalion you could you can have three HQs, so you could have you could have a Vrain, you could have the Incarn, you could have an Autark or a Farseer, and then yeah. you have the Vizark in a in a non slot, basically. And right, but you still need to have that fourth um HQ that's Asriani to fill out the even for battlefield roles. Well, but she, okay, so but she is Asriani. She has the Asriani. Oh, she, okay, she has that Yeah, oh, so she's she does. Fine. nice. And so does he. Okay. And they so all do. The Never mind. Yeah, they, yeah, they oh, okay. all do. They're fine. Yeah. Yeah, so you Never can mind. just use them as craft world models. They're Ignore fine. my... Th- yeah. So, yeah, I can just... Okay, perfect. Cool. So, no. Um. Yeah. Because in my mind, the only real reason I'd want to play Yanari is to use those three models. Uh, it'd be nice to have the mixed attachments like we talked about. But... I, I think I agree with you that it's too rough losing power from pain and your, um, not the luck, cause the luck I wouldn't be used to using, but. Strands of Fate. Strands of Fate, yeah, that, uh, losing that, cause I am so excited to play Strands of Fate that, that it, it'd be weird not having it. I don't know. So overall, I, I'm pleased. I do think the minor things, like Estrion, I think fine. Harlequins should be okay. Yunari, Meh, I don't know. I'd probably try to play them for fluff, maybe. Although, I'm still scared to get the Incarn out, because last time I, I used, or I tried to use him, he fell down and went boom, and then I had to piece him together again. Um, and then the fourth faction we barely talked about, because it's barely there, is Corsairs, and I don't recommend doing that one. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no, there, there's, there's some things that are a little bit odd, but yeah, for, for the most part, I think it's a good book. And I like for when I get my own craft world army together, I think it'll be, <laughs> I, I, so I, no, it's, I, I still just haven't decided. I'm not going to do Inari cause I want, right. Cause like there's other stuff I want to use, but I, I think like I'm looking forward to giving it a try and uh, it'll definitely play differently than most of my other armies. So I think, Oh, it'll be definitely a good experience. I'm curious as to what craft world traits she'll take. Ah, yeah, I haven't decided if I'm going to do a, uh, if I'll do one of like the main five or build my own. Or they did add in a recent White Dwarf, they added Altensar, which is the one that Mog and Ra is from originally. So, uh, we'll see <laughs> if that one, that one tickles my interest. 
But yeah, uh, might. But I, with all the like, since I've got the Eldritch Omen stuff, there's always the temptation of going Alitok, since they, they will be better that way. Also, I don't have a blue army right now, so that would be <laughs> that would be. I a always think of them more as yellow blue. than blue, but well, no, Yandon's yellow with blue hats. Oh, Yandon Al- Al- is yeah, blue with yellow hats. You're you're right. You're right. I was thinking Yandon, and because you already have the named character from Ali Talk. No, I don't. Any I I used to have. It oh, no you got one. rid I of him. Oh, okay. I I when I traded off all my old my my old Eldari stuff. That uh, yeah, gotcha. I didn't keep him. So okay. So yeah. So no, I'm I'm starting okay. fresh. <laughs> I'm starting fresh. <laughs> all right, and that takes us over to hobby progress. I have not started putting together Eldari yet. I you're, but you're I still did, starting fresh. I, <laughs> well, I fin okay. So I finished uh, painting Bellacor finally. He is done and delivered to the client who is very happy with him. And then to clear off some of my backlog, uh, I went ahead and uh, put finally got around to putting together the uh, Stormcast Eternals from the Age of Sigmar Dominion box we got last year. So that's those are done now, and uh, the next thing I'm going to be working on is the Dark Angels army that uh, we'll be raffling off for charity at uh, at Midwest Conquest. Uh, Midwest Conquest is Memorial Day weekend in Kansas City, specifically at the Stony Creek Hotel and Convention Center in Independence, Missouri, uh, and that is the. And uh, one of the two armies, we'll be raffling off a Black Templars army, which someone else is painting, but also, uh, and that army will be raffled off for a veterans housing uh, charity. If Kevin was here, I could ask him because he knows the exact one. Uh, The Dark Angels army, we're going to be uh, raffling off for charity for the KU Cancer Center. Uh, We have a friend who, in fact, donated uh, these models a couple of years ago for us to make for uh, Midwest Conquest 2020. And in the intervening two years, he has been diagnosed with a cancer so rare that there's only been 40 cases or so of it worldwide, and he is getting treatment at the KU Cancer Center. And so I felt it was the right thing to do to raffle off the army he provided to us to support that service so that people like him can continue to get that kind of treatment. So I will be building at starting the build and paint on those in the probably starting the build next week and then starting painting on them soon afterwards. Okay, I guess for me, um, started putting together Eldari models. Um, I do really like the new Rangers. I really like the new Autark. Um, the new models are just really nice. Um, yeah, so that's probably going to be my, my thing. I need to get back to my Knight's Army that I'm going to take to Midwest Conquest to play in the Friendly. Because, well, we haven't had good weather yet to prime anything, so I'm held off. And so I guess in the meantime, I'll put together some Eldar. For me, hobby progress-wise, I put together a, another set of 10 uh, Beast Naga Boys. I still have, like, another 20 to go. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's that's all I've managed to do. I've been busy with Elden Ring. <laughs> I was actually going to ask you if you, you wanted to talk about that for the morale phase, because last episode, Dennis and I gushed about Horizon Forbidden West, and so oh, yes. I figured we'd talk about the other big game. Now, I I don't think, Dennis, neither you or I have played Elden Ring, but I know you've you been uh, watching Technically, I have. Yeah. Oh, I've played okay. about five minutes of it. 
<laughs> I, 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 I created a character, um, jumped off this little thing that the little words on the ground told me to and found a little crystal to stand next to. And I said, okay, back to Horizon because these, the control schemes are totally different. And yes. so I don't think it's going to be good to try and jump back, back and forth between the two. So I need to finish one before I can start the other. Right. That's, that's kind of why, like, I picked up Horizon Zero Dawn and, and played, like, it for the week in between it and Elden Ring coming out. But Elden Ring is huge. And, uh, so, like, I have, I've tried to focus on that one first and then I'll go back to Horizon. But it is a very much, it, like, this is a game from, from software. It is, it literally could just be called Dark Souls 4, um, because it, it shares very much that Souls gameplay with big, huge, impressive, like, scary bosses and, like, kind of a, a unforgiving, like, tough, you know, like, encounters and, like, traps and poison swamps and like i I guess uh, to add into that the people i've watched on like twitch that have been playing every single one of them i guess probably for their their fans or whatnot have a death counter on there and those numbers are getting quite high yeah i i definitely do not keep track of how many times i've died because it's a lot i'm not one of those people who i i don't even think i'm good at the souls games i've actually beaten all of them so far but it, it like i haven't like 100 com- percent completed them and because there are some like optional things that are just crazy hard that that i haven't done and this one actually has quite a bit of like more approachability i think than than the previous games because the previous games tend to have like they'll have branching pathways to where you can like go different ways and there's like kind of secret routes that you can find and shortcuts and and such so it's not just like linear levels but when you approach them and you're not really looking around they are kind of just linear levels that take you to a boss and then you beat the boss and then you get another like branch pathway and you can run around and and explore the different areas in in one it they're not open worlds this one is an open world so like you'll run into a boss and uh, you can just decide to go somewhere else if you don't think you can beat this boss yet and like explore and get better equipment and level up some and you can pretty much level up almost right away in this game which is without having to beat a boss first which is actually kind of unique uh for them a lot of times they they make you beat a boss first before they even let you level up in the other dark souls games i think i did that i tried playing one once i could i had so much trouble with the first boss i got very frustrated i'm like i making no progress so i kind of just stopped and i think like you said having a more open world where you can just run away from things you're not ready for is a good thing. So yeah. I- I'm excited to try it. 
And, and from what I gather, like an open world, it's still like there are areas you don't want to go until you've like geared up and leveled up to a certain extent. Like it's not just yes. like everything's equal difficulty other than like dungeons you go into. It's like there there's parts of the world that are dangerous. Yeah, but it's not a little linear path. Right. And, and there are areas that are like blocked off to you that you can't go to until you beat certain bosses. But there is a lot of space to run around in. I think I was, I think I played the game 20 hours or so before I, I beat the first real actual big boss of story boss of the game. <clears throat> so like I understand like I like from what I've gathered on it like there are dungeons that play very much like old school Dark Souls very linear but then there is that like open world with like open world bosses because like I've seen footage of like the giant lobster that you f that you can just like find somewhere or like giants wandering around with big ass clubs that will kill you that kind of thing. R right yeah there some of those I mean there are like big enemies that are really just kind of big enemies. They aren't even bosses. Like the most of the giants and, and big lobsters and crabs and stuff aren't technically even bosses. Um, like they, they get like, there's right as you like kind of get out of like the two, the like tutorial area, you find your first kind of checkpoint, which are called um, uh, sites of grace or in Dark Souls, they were called bonfires. So people will often refer to them as that. And then, like, you kind of can go down a hill and you can see literally, like, the first, pretty much the first enemy that you see is a world boss that is just a, a, a big knight on horseback that's got a, a spear and a big shield or a halberd and a big shield. And right away, like, if you try and go fight him, uh, he's probably going to wreck you because it, he's got so much health and you definitely don't do much damage. It, if you can beat him, it will take a very long time to do so. And you have to, like, kind of play perfectly to do it. So standard soul stuff, play perfectly to win. Right. But, like, <laughs> Since he's in a just kind of this open area, like once you encounter him and his boss bar pops up, you're not like trapped in a room, uh, like a combat arena with him like the other like Souls bosses would be. You can just run away from him or you can okay. like, like skirt around him and not even like really encounter him to start with. Okay. So, and then there are like, like weaker enemies that you can like just fight to level up against. And, and I understand there's like crafting and stuff to like get better gear and, or get yeah, like it, healing items. The, like that. the, the crafting is not particularly for, for gear. It, it is for like your consumables. Okay. So like, like poison antidotes and there's a, you can toss like fire bombs at stuff and like you can pick up things that help you craft those things or you you also get a mount it, a horse that lets you travel this this big wide open space like a lot faster and can help you get past some of these like 
big world bosses that could do big, huge attacks that will annihilate you in one shot, help you run away faster, but you have to go to, like, a couple of sites of grace in to, to get that. Okay. You basically get him at the same time that you get the ability to level up, right? And, like, it works on that same kind of, uh, like, your healing potions that you get are, are a... It, it's a flask that every time that you sit down at one of the sites of grace, all the enemies, all the standard enemies will respawn. Okay. So yeah, again, pretty standard. Right. But then all of your world bosses that you kill, they stay dead. There are certain like named enemies that will be more difficult than standard enemies. And, and they will, you generally stay dead, but then that like refills all of your healing potions, which you can split between like your health and your mana. Like you start, I think with three and you can do like two and one or one and two, just like you can divvy those up at, at the sites of grace. And, like, eventually you unlock, you find items that will let you get more of those or make them be more potent and, like, restore more health. Uh, and then there's also a, a mechanic for, they're called enemy groups. So as you're wandering around, if you kill every enemy in an enemy group, sometimes, I mean, it's set for the enemy groups. It'll always be essentially the same, but like, it's not universally that it always just refills all of your flasks. But like, once you kill an enemy group, there's a chance that you will get flasks back, which helps exploring more and makes it less that you have to like stop and go back to your, your site of grace to rest. Okay. So yeah, now I have never been a, a souls fan. Like I tried bloodborne, which is, you know, again, you know, similar, but if, you know, slightly different, but I found like, I got very turned around in the somewhat linear map world that wasn't linear, but like kind of looped back on itself. Do you think for someone like me, where I like I it, do you think this would be a you had said this was a, a more approachable game? Do you think like that would make having the open world aspect would make this a bit easier on me? Where it's like I could get around to other places rather than just being stuck in the same like loop of gameplay until I move forward. Yeah, I mean having the additional areas to explore is very helpful. Uh, like it makes leveling up less grindy, right? Because like you're not. You, you go other places and kill different enemies and you can get runes or souls that way, as opposed to kind of being stuck in an air, in like the same area. And like, it, it just makes it a little more variety in, in like the gameplay. And, and there is, there is actually a map. This is the first one of the these games that they've done where they actually give you a map and you can see like big chunks of the world and kind of have like an overview of you can kind of tell like once you fought like you collect like map fragments that will fill out parts of the map and the map can kind of hint to you like the ways to get to like 
areas that it doesn't look like you can get to from where you're at. Like you can go around and there'll be like pathways that you can kind of discern on the map to take you to a different area. Oh, that's cool. I, yeah, I've been like kind of hesitant about it. Cause again, like I said, I didn't have a great experience with Bloodborne. So I, but I also love open world gaming, but not necessarily the, the Ubisoft style, like Assassin's Creed, all the, all the crazy points on the map thing, like all the, the fetch quests and stuff to do. So something like right. this, maybe once I work through the other, so many games on my queue, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, this might I be mean, one to check out. The only warning I'll have is Richard and the streamers I've alluded to is be prepared to die a lot. Well, yeah, yeah it's a, it's a FromSoft game that, that kind of comes with the territory. I imagine. Yeah, it, there is lots of stuff to kind of do in the world, and there will be, like, lots of little points on the map that, like, you can... And almost right away, like, once you start unlocking, like, the Sights of Grace, as long as you're not, like, currently holding, like, the aggro of an enemy, you can open up the map and fast travel to any of the points of Sights of Grace. Or as long as... Well, and you also have to not be, like, in an underground, like, dungeon. There's certain areas that keep you from fast traveling but like for the most part you can kind of fast travel from almost anywhere to one of the sites of grace that you've already had so it makes moving around the map and kind of doing stuff that there's not really there i mean there's kind of kind of fetch quests that from software quests are weird because they are obtuse they they aren't like, you talk to an NPC, and then they will, like, mention that they are going to go do something. And then, like, to continue the quest for that NPC, like, there's no, like, quest log. You just kind of have to find your way to that place that they're going to and, like, help them fight something. And then they'll reward you for it. That That's another thing to kind of be aware of is that... You will oftentimes, without, like, looking it up, miss NPCs, like, just miss seeing the NPCs or not know where to go next for them. Or it's it's kind of strange, but, like, sometimes you figure it out on your own or luck into, like, progressing their quest chain. And, and, and that's kind of neat, like, figuring it out on your own. Definitely doesn't hold your hand. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, cool. Well, so if that sounds like it is your cup of tea or if it's something you've been meaning to try out, but you maybe find a, a Dark Souls-style game difficult to get into, it sounds like Elden Ring might be up your alley. And obviously, a lot of people are really enjoying it right now. So there must be something to it. So I think that wraps up episode 255 both parts of the Eldark review, a book too large to fit into one episode. Um, so we'll be back in a couple of weeks with uh, maybe Gene Steeler Colts. Maybe we'll finally get around to them, <laughs> uh, which will be interesting, especially as we start getting more information on Tyranids and how those two are going to play together, perhaps. Uh, Ooh, but until the Gene Steelers yeah. and Tyranids, two parts, yes. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't know. Don't do this to me, Dennis. Right. <laughs> but anyway, for, until then, from all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm your host, Rob. 
Dennis. And Richard. Good night, good gaming, and I'm so glad this series is done. <laughs> <laughs> Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.